Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. That's Jen Schippel. And that's Joe Wilson. And that's Stephen Jones. And this is episode 200. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so we're excited. We were able to get the band back together of sorts, right? Yeah. That's right. And by the end of the tour, I'll have pissed in Steve's beer and punched Jens in the face, and Jens will have killed me and <laughs> slept with my wife. It'll be great. <laughs> All in a day's work, right? This is going to be one amazing episode. I can't wait to listen to it again once it's over. Right. It, it, it will be. It will be. On the drive home. Yes. Uh, so I want to first, before we get into all the good stuff, I want to say we have a, a great guest on the program. Not a musician truly in and of himself, though, you know, he does sing on occasion in small, you know, small venues. And that is M- Mr. Ben Fong Torres of... Uh, Rolling Stone magazine. He was the editor uh, up until 81. He's an icon in the Bay Area. He's done so much. So uh, we're going to have him on a little bit later in the program. He sings. I mean, not, uh, you know, just small little kind of... Not professionally. No, not professionally. But he would love to have, you know, had some musical skill and kind of followed that at some point. Or had a career, you mean. Yeah, yeah. He, he never he never went down that path. We talk about that a little bit. Oh, cool, very cool. So are we talking like open mic night or? Yes, exactly. He'll do like an open mic night sort of thing. I like it. That's exactly. That's yeah. fun. Yeah, I mean, I can. I try to imagine myself being in that industry that he was in, and how uh, envious you know he might have been of all this talent that he was constantly around. Yeah. I mean, I was born with no rhythm at all. Oh, I can't dance. You and me both. Sing. I can't play an instrument. Steve is the best dancer I know. Truth be told, he also has great impressions. They're so good. (laughs) None of which are we hearing today on the program. I think I I got part of an impression Steve made once um, as I was sort of leaving. Um, But... uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger? Right, something like that. Have you heard his governor? (laughs) Get to the chopper! Oh, get to the chopper, it's not a tumor. (laughs) You guys are both really good. so good. Let's hear your Arnold. You have to deliver. My Arnold? Yeah. I don't want to do my Arnold because it'll be so much better than yours, Stephen Jones. <laughs> That's Arnold slash Italian Mafia. <laughs> Italian Mafia. Make you an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> We're going to do bad impressions the rest of the episode. Oh, That's, yeah. It's just us doing terrible. This is episode 200, bad impressions. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so we're gonna have Ben Fong Torres on. Really excited. This was a really monumental interview for me. Um, we'll talk. We'll talk about it a little bit more as we gear into it. Um, but I don't, let me say, I'm just was really excited to sit down uh, and talk to him. I got to interview him in his home in San Francisco. Yeah, you psyched yourself out a little bit. You were excited. You, you texted like, me. You were like, I'm nervous. I don't tell you're you, I'm nervous. nervous. You're I, never nervous for an interview. It's just a little bit of that, you know. I um, haven't heard you say that since since we were like 17. I know. I remember like calling you, like freaking out when I was interviewing George Thor good you know and i'm like you know just like an hour before or something i don't know what to talk to him about you know and help yeah uh so instead i'll mess up the name of one of his songs and uh just concentrate on the basics like okay what's his name okay got past that (laughs) what are the albums yeah yeah well i messed up the name of the song so one bourbon one whiskey uh no how do you not know this one i know well one bourbon one scotch one beer of course yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. But in the moment, uh, yeah. Anyway, old You're young and unseasoned, and now yes. look at you! Look at you! You've climbed the top of the mountain. Yes, yes. It's a hell of a thing. Yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, that mountain that we've climbed since um, we brought the podcast back. Uh, as a well, I say back, but we used to do it as a TV show back in the day. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The uh, stage right. 
after Stage Left. Steve had a show before the one that we had together called Stage Left. Uh, and then he insisted on calling our show Stage Right. And it we, made it easy. Yeah, it made it easy. We agreed because we didn't have a better you idea. You started with the Chris and Joe show. And, Is uh, that what we... I remember the first episode yeah. was about the name of the show. Yeah. And how we hated Stage Right, and we didn't know what to call it. But you were like, yeah, no, it's Stage Right. We're not changing it. So It, it wasn't a bad decision. It's um, a fine name. Yeah, it, was, it worked it's, out. It's I fine. mean, you know, yeah. young me didn't know the gold of, of the name. Right. I just wanted something else. And then I, I started the concert pipeline moniker back in like Oh four. Um, and that's you know, right. Yeah. When you were in college. Yeah. Oh four to Oh five. And you got the banner printed. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And wait, uh, what? So, uh, so quick recap. Yep. The TV show happened when that was Oh three. Oh three. Yep. So in your mind, how long has concert pipeline been going on for? I mean, since, since 04, so... Since 04, so 14, since the show... Since I mean, the, I, in my mind, it hasn't been going on for 14 years, no. Well, it started, established 14 years ago, right? Established, Can, yes. we, can we say before. that there are seasons of Concert Pipeline? They yeah, they've definitely been, definite, I would say definitely, because the first season was just Stephen Jones. <laughs> just Stephen. And, and no then, and well, then it evolved. I mean, there were guests. I it, still do the same thing. I yeah. didn't revamp. No, that's oh, right. That, that's where you got your... Just, just Stephen Jones. Dude, that's where you got your impersonations from. Yes. <laughs> because you didn't actually have anyone interview. Just, he's like, it was I just have, you I have both sides. on the podcast <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Again, you're welcome. Yeah. You don't have a bad Mickey. Actually, now that I think about it, your Mickey impression isn't terrible. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's not Let's talk about Concert Pipeline. It's not bad. It's not bad. Um... But yeah, so wait, let's go back even further. I wanna, oh, do we have to? I want to dig deep here. Wait, Steven, wait, wait. I didn't realize there was a further. I thought that oh, was yeah. the beginning. Oh, Stephen Jones has a storied television career prior to his podcasting career. What was your first show called, Steve? Vice Versa. Vice Versa. Yes. I knew the answer to that question. Yeah, no, you did. Of course but you I did. asked it anyway. Yeah. Uh, for all of you listeners out there and Jens. Uh, so... So tell me, <clears throat> what was the premise of Vice Versa? There was no premise. It, you sure? Did you have some skits on there? There were, there were some skits. It was a little bit of everything. So it was skits. So it was like yeah. sketch comedy? Or I mean, there was some of that. Was it a variety show? Did you have Yes, talent? a variety show. We'll call, we'll call it that. We did have some talent on the program. We had some of these backyard wrestlers that came in once. And, uh, awesome. like, yeah, and would like pretend beating them I'm each other with chairs. I'm not kidding. I might have seen that episode. Yeah. <laughs> on public access when I was like 16. We had some local movie director. Yeah, local movie director. What is happening? You had, uh, did you have Vengeance? We did, of you course. Did. So that was Steve's first music interview then? I don't think so. No? Who did no. you interview prior to that? The, my, I remember my first interview is, uh, I mean, not that I did, but as we did for one of my, <clears throat> excuse me, for one of my shows. Oh. Do you, do you need to <laughs> that means you need there? some beer, right? Yeah, yep. Chaser. Mm-hmm. So you want to mm. talk a little bit about why you're coughing? You, you, you coming down with something or got something in your throat there? Right. Yeah. Mm. Or no. did you? So anyway, vice versa. <laughs> I, I wanted to um, just comment on this real quick because I saw some footage of this. Yeah, I, I know. Because you versa, cataloged stage, all my footage. Left, stage right. Um, oh, yeah. oh you've seen all of my embarrassing moments. I mean, then. he didn't sit and watch it, though. <laughs> Some of this stuff is epic. Uh-huh. I just gotta I say, any I mean, of it some of it's really good. I'm kind of scared that it's digitized. It I have it. Yeah, destroy it all. I really did at one point want to just hack the and, original SVHSs uh, to pieces. And for over a decade, I I, I considered the tapes gone yeah, and lost. Sure. I was like, they're just. I'm holding them. I don't know why I've been carrying them around. You but said that at one they, point. You but they exist. Getting rid of them, but you kept them anyway. Because it's too pricey to digitize. It takes somewhere know. to digitize. I'm like, until you got a friend like. I know. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. You're welcome. Digitizes your old crappy and, TV shows. And gives me ammunition for this guy. Yes. Oh, you will hold that over my head forever. He posted a clip on Facebook. Uh-huh. 
destroyed. Oh, I got, I got massacred. It was awful. It was awful. Give me a electric screwdriver and a VCR, and I can do anything. Nice. Yeah. I like it. You took it back, so. Let's go back in time. Yeah. yeah. And I want to we'll say that stuff was totally memorable. And I want to, you know, share some of the memories I, you know, uh, have of those. Oh, digitizing it? Okay. But I don't remember a single fucking thing, except, <laughs> except something there, something about Vice Versa. I think you hadn't realized that I had watched some of that, and I just remember oh, you being boy. really embarrassed. Like, no, you did not see. Oh, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, definitely not good. Oh, but but it was good my memories. it was my first step in this in this kind of world because your first interview I want to know oh yeah so it was um, with, back that. when Stephanie did the show before yeah. and yeah. Um, and we interviewed uh, Cowboy Mouth was the very first one that was your very first interview but it, but that was but, vengeance before you did Cowboy Mouth I don't think so unless they were on vice versa I mean I could be wrong because vengeance is a local band yeah. and Cowboy Mouth was touring yeah so and their like, drummer worked at the station. Is that what it was? He, yeah, Jan, uh, I mean, he's last I heard, he's still running the station right now. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, he's running it now. Yeah. So. Oh, I didn't know that he was still around. I thought he'd like. I haven't gone back to say hi or anything, so you should. I should. Yeah. <laughs> hi, remember me? Yes, you haven't aged the yes. day. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know that they were ever really interviewed, or they just stopped it, or you know, I mean, he's been in, you know, he worked there, so. Uh huh. Okay. Um, so I, I don't remember that piece, but as far as an actual scheduled interview. Cowboy Mouth wasn't scheduled, but we interviewed uh, Fred from Cowboy Mouth be, uh, while we were waiting for uh, to do our interview with Better Than Ezra. Oh. How did you get an interview with Better Than Ezra as your second ever interview? Uh, or first, technically. Because Cowboy Mouth? They, he was just there at the Fillmore. Right. He was opening. So How did you get that interview? What did you do? Better Than Ezra? I, yeah. e- I emailed, right? And so I don't know where the idea came from, but you know, I'm like, okay, you know, I could... I could email these publicists because uh, I could find their information. Sure. And so you creeped them on the internet, right? Yeah, before people started doing that, and uh, before people started doing that, everybody was doing that. I, I mean, you know, publicists like. Oh right, 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 right. So and I don't know. You reach out and you ask. So and you just sent an email that was like, "Hello," or no, "Hello, my name is Steve Jones. <laughs> I have a TV show. Pretty I've much. Got this vice versa thing. Here's a link. It's really cool." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing, and that and it just materialized. You know, said, material yeah, so. uh, an interview materialized. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Good for you, man. And so then did a bunch of stuff that's after that. Fucking but. crazy that that has brought us to this point, right? That yeah. sixteen-year-old Steve Jones sending oh, an email. I mean, I don't know. I was pro- when I did it with Stephanie. I, that was probably eighteen. Okay, because I was right after graduation. I think sure. Yeah. So right, right, right. You yeah. had the means and the mobility and. You were like, I'm gonna fucking do interviews and be about. I'm gonna be Ben Fontoris, <laughs> right? So what kind of catalyst was that? I mean, boom! You got the better, better than Ezra, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not like I was a super like, better than Ezra oh God, fan, but but it's cool. I mean, and it gave me, I'm sure, hope that I could continue to do this. And you know, and not everyone's gonna say yes ever. But no one says of, yes. A if you lot don't. of people have said no. Yeah, I've, got, I've gotten a lot of no's, but I've also gotten a lot of yeses and, and made some. You don't ask, you don't get, man. Exactly. Yeah. And you've had a lot of really great, and, memorable interviews as a result. 200 just on this show, not yeah. counting the ones you had prior with other shows. Yeah. Yeah. So. Exactly. So, and, you know, and there's a lot of thanks that, you know, at the end, I want to give a couple thanks to those that have been helpful. Some few special thank yous. A couple, a couple, not a lot, but, you know, those that have been really valuable. So. 
Hint, it's to the two guys sitting here right now. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> don't spoil it. Don't spoil it's it. It's been spoiled. I have a speech all planned. <laughs> yeah, Steve's going to start getting weepy. Right. <laughs> this is the best thing I ever had. Yes. You're better than my kids, Concert <laughs> Pipeline. <laughs> yes. So before Concert Pipeline became a podcast... It was a public access TV show and on the internet. Right. So in, what, what are some in, of the... Like, what's the one big memory that you guys have of that time well joe wasn't around for concert pipeline really he lived in san diego at that time pre-concert pipeline yeah stage right so it was vice versa Uh stage left stage right yes you guys you guys did 14 episodes or something yeah before and it was limited i wasn't i moved to san diego about to move and the tv station moved like which was taking like the whole summer away i did one episode in that new station but yeah that that summer was the last summer i lived here in town so that was 2000 that was the summer 2003 yeah because I graduated O two, we did the show starting probably October, November, and we did it until I moved away that summer. Okay. And I moved in August. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So we did, yeah, fourteen episodes. But I, I we had, <laughs> Jens, much as you tagged in after I left this show, uh, Hiro guest yeah. hosted, Mark, one Hiro- of my friends, Mark guest hosted, Jude I think was on an episode. Uh-huh. So I wasn't always present. In fact, if I was anything, I was an absentee host. You, miss, you, yeah, in some of the 14, you did miss a couple because you were down in San Diego visiting your then-girlfriend at the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was that, and then it was also just, I think I was busy. I think there were a few nights I had to close. I remember Mondays, I want to say, were when we did, we did a I live did, yeah, like at 7. Live, yeah. live show Monday at 7. We'd take calls, we and everybody would just prank call us, and uh-huh. we'd hang up on them. Both or of no, our mothers called in, actually. Yeah. Oh, God, embarrassing moments. <laughs> embarrassing. That's hilarious. Uh, I feel like those clips should be mixed in. <laughs> All right. You'll get right on should that. Should we update. share a clip? No, we shouldn't. You don't want to post? Of the old show? Yeah. No, I don't I don't think that's We'd have to necessary. Sit like 15 yeah. hours of footage I, to find it, but I feel like that's worth doing for the two. I mean, I, I have clips. I have all the old episodes, so I could just drop a random clip in or something. But don't find the clip of your mom calling and my mom calling. You have to watch 15 hours of It's it's in the best of. That we made a best of at the end to draw oh, out because yeah. we were done and right. I mean before they were moving, we were like, Okay, this will at least stall it over a week. I think we'd planned to continue it, yeah, but yeah, then yeah. then I we, talked about doing yeah. it when I came back to visit and stuff and then I, I didn't come back for like no. six months. <laughs> you're gone, you're <laughs> gone. Like, yeah, I mean, I wait, wait, how did you end up in s- Southern California? I had a girlfriend at the time who lived in San Diego, so I was chasing chasing her down there and oh. she was going to school at USD and I moved down there to be closer and it was a bad decision. <laughs> I bailed two years later. Yeah. I lived down there for two years and I came back and I was wow. like, what a mess that was. Yeah. Wow. See, you could have done two more years of concert pipeline instead. I yeah. know. I could have actually done concert pipeline initially because I wasn't involved until it was a podcast. Right. Yeah. You want to drop a clip in? I think we should. I think we should find a clip and just drop it. Okay. Let's drop I'll, it. I'll leave it up to you though. Of course. I'm choosing it. What's the best of after this? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Here's a clip of the old uh, stage right before Concert Pipeline. All right. Welcome to the Chris and Joe show. Or is it? It's Chris and Joe show slash stage right. We're still working on the name. This is our first yeah. episode. We can say fuck because it's after 10 p.m. Try to stop us, bitches. Anyway, so we're going to move on here. This show, the focus of the show is just local music, local bands, Bay Area. Right. Steve, this is your mother. Uh, I highly doubt I that. I wanted to thank you for that beautiful photograph you used of me earlier in the show. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was... A, I don't know where you found that picture, but it was one of my favorites. Mom? Steve, show, show your mom's photo again. 
Oh, I got myself. Sorry. Hi. Who is this? Hi, this is your mother. Oh, really? My mom, eh? My mom? Uh, yes. Oh, God, it is my mom. <laughs> it's okay. But I'm really proud to have a child who moons everybody. <laughs> you can even see my butt. You can even see it. I was looking over my shoulder. There's a little TV right there. That's I can see it. You right. can see it, Joe. Thank you, caller. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Where is she? Where's Steve's mom? Is she making lasagna? <laughs> she makes good lasagna. Really good lasagna. I miss yeah. Steve's mom's lasagna. Wow. You've had it? I've had it. Right here at this table. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, we right here at this like table. Like a or what? something. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that, yeah. Oh, are we doing a Friendsgiving this year? We should. I'm down. Yeah? Oh, look at that. That's a joke with some commitment. I never say I'm going to do it. I always you go, don't. um, maybe. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> no, I'm in. Uh, Are you in? Only if your mom shows up with her lasagna. <laughs> wow. You know, I will say, the only person missing from this pod who was part of that foundation for me is Chris McDermott. Okay. Because Chris was there for he, – he and I were really – because Steve, Steve and I and Chris worked together at In-N-Out and – Steve was like, I have a show. And we were like, what? <laughs> how do Who you, does that? Yeah, how do you react to that? Why, you have a show on cable access? And uh, I was like, sure, I'll do it. Steve asked me, and I was like, I'll do it. But Because but I, I needed you to fill in for an episode because Stephanie correct, was so Stephanie somewhere. Was out. So I actually did one episode yeah. of, of Stage, Stage Left. Right. Stage, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Stage Left. And, um, and then Chris tagged in for Stage Right for episode yeah. one. I was like, hey, man, you should come do this. And he was like, okay. sure. None of us worked Monday nights. That's how we all became friends, actually. You know, it was kind of through that, and, and, through and, that and show, through, really. And through you being like, hey, Joe, you should be on my show. Me being like, Chris, you want to do this? Because I had, I had no idea. I could yeah. talk, but I had no idea what I would do in front of a camera for an hour. But Chris was a good straight man. Because I never shut up. You're, it's hilarious because, yeah, he did most of the talking. But we had three cameras, right? And I was back in the control room. There's a glass window through the the, the studio. So we have three cameras. And, uh, so there's, there's always this debacle of, like, you know, I had one. One on Steve. One on me. So one on both for, of us. For the rare times I talk, I was like the Howard Stern or whatever. Who is it in the back who does? Oh, God, Gary? I don't what know. I don't know, but, but whatever. They have a, you know, a lot of shows have a producer in the back, and you cut to them sometimes and, you know, that sort of thing. So I just, I had one on me. Makes sense. There was a two, one on a two shot, so you could see both of them. Mm -hmm. And then the one shot, I'd, I'd move it a couple of times. Yeah, but it was but, on me. I earned that yeah. shit. I, yeah. I said, for every 10 words Chris said, I said 100. So the yeah. ratio was, was skewed in my favor. Oh, those, but, those episodes are so bad. But Chris was very disgruntled at times about not having his own camera. <laughs> and we put a camera on him once. To just, just, and, Why don't I have a camera? We put a camera on him once, and I cut to it, and he just would be sitting there, you know, <laughs> when, he, he when it's his turn to me, talk. Actually, I was talking, and he was looking at me, and that was the shot. That's hilarious, because the, from what I remember... My thinking was, why does Chris never say anything? <laughs> I'm telling I you, he was, the, he was the silent bomb. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I didn't see it as, you know, Joe's hugging the mic. I saw it as, he's so quiet. Chris is so quiet. I do never shut up. There were more than one I want to say there was more than one instance during that show where I was like, Chris, say something. He was like, what do you want to say, dude? He was just like, yeah, he, know, he right? didn't have yeah. the words. So he's butt sore because there's no camera on him, but when there is, he doesn't know what to say. <laughs> That's exactly. Yes. That was it. Exactly. Yes, and things never changed. But it was a good dynamic and uh, for it all, was. all it of was. us. It, and, it worked. And the, built, the, the foundation of a lifelong friendship. So. 
Yeah, I mean, I I would have been friends with you regardless. But yeah, the TV show was the kind of what spurred all of us hanging out together. Yeah. It was the it was the the nexus, I guess, of all of us being friends. Yeah. So it was, uh, and it was fun. I had fun doing it. It was weird to be like with people, my peers, to be like, yeah, no, I went. I went to the show and I met uh, these guys. What? Like, yeah. What are you doing? What? Yeah. I went Real to Big Fish and... Real Big Fish wasn't... Bre- oh, uh, yes. I did... Certain people yeah. cared and other people didn't. And this Steve, Steve will tell you, humble bragging on who you interview is like, that's the ultimate perk right. <laughs> of the show. It's like, ah, he was, we were at... Uh, we were at a place the other day, and Steve pulls out his phone. He's like, here's me interviewing these guys, and I'm wearing the hat with your brand on. <laughs> <laughs> I walked away for five seconds, and I came back, and Steve was like, check out this I picture. asked you if I should. Not in that situation, but before, I was like, should I yeah, share that the with way them? you broached it, you were just like, hey, guy who works in the warehouse, <laughs> look at this picture. And the guy looked at him like, okay. <laughs> 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 he was like, all right, man, thanks for <laughs> showing me that. All right. Oh, he, he perked an eyebrow. That's you know whatever. <laughs> what the fuck is going on right now? Yeah, but the old show, uh, there were you know, I mean, one of the joys of it for me was you guys had your favorite bands, and I was learning about this music and uh, and kind of building. What was your favorite band? When we started hanging out. No, and it wasn't. Yes. The pheasant wasn't a favorite band. Who was the favorite band? I don't what remember. Was your favorite band? I, I, have, I have a feeling that this that that Steve is about to admit something that. Is really embarrassing, and nobody should have this band as a favorite band. Yes, and yeah, yeah I mean, I, I'm. Somebody once before. told him the world was going to roll him. Uh, you he know, I'm not the sharpest tool oh. in the shed. <laughs> yeah, yes, it was uh, Smash Mouth, and so I'm. You know, I'm not proud of that, but I <clears throat> own it. And and even when I interviewed well, Smash Mouth on the program, you should be embarrassed about that because when I was like 12, I loved Smash Mouth. Uh, yeah. And then I turned it 13. It, was like, it lasted a little longer for me. 12. Okay. So <laughs> cough, cough. 12. <clears throat> right. Well, we were. We were no, Steve was 19, I think. Okay. <laughs> right. Not even. But okay. I did. All right. So maybe a little bit of a late bloomer. But look how far Steve has progressed yeah, in look, that time. I mean, shot. He shot out of the cannon. Yeah. Like a fucking rocket, man. And, and I was. What I was going to say was what I was most proud of getting to uh, get you guys interviews with your favorite bands yeah. at the time. Like, and legit, like you were a big fan of Rowig Fish. Chris was a big fan of Zach Wilde. Yeah. And I was able to obtain. That was great. You know? Zach Wilde, I had my, um, I had my first uh, partial beer uh, at the, at the. Uh, Edge nightclub in San Jose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And before that, every, every party I went to in high school and drank, I drank liquor, uh-huh. which was a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> every single one was a mistake. <laughs> every time. Um, it was a Heineken. I had that bottle. I might still have that bottle somewhere. I had that bottle with me for like years. Like a spider ended up in it or something? Um, yeah, it wasn't a spider. It was interesting. It was, it was a bug of some sort. It was a bug with like hundreds of limbs. Uh-huh. I mean, we're getting sidetracked. Yeah, right? It's irrelevant. But I, I still have, I'm not kidding when I say this, still have this signed guitar pick from Zach Wilde. You do. I do. Nice. I kept it in my Conan O'Brien, late night uh-huh. with Conan O'Brien mug. Love he got you. me in New York. I kept it with that and... Um, I kept it with a. I had a uh, keg top for my 25th birthday from a keg that I bought for that party that I kept, and I had a 50 caliber shell from when I went shooting with my brothers. So it's in, it's in like my my keepsake Parts, stuff. Yeah. yeah, my shit that I drag everywhere. My yeah. chachi, my chachi some, shit. Some of that, yeah. Did you say signed guitar pick? Yeah. How the fuck do you sign a guitar pick? Yeah. It was in more of an initial. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like initials? I mean, you couldn't fit more than two letters on one of those. Yeah, he did. I think it's Zach 
Zach Wild, I think you got his whole name on there. Yeah. <laughs> Man, his handwriting must be like font size <laughs> minus one. <laughs> he used a fine tipped marker. Yeah, right. right. Calligraphy. He's like, I mean, he thought this one out. He was prepared. Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about some of the first 100. Uh, that was your chapter of uh, of concert pipeline. And um, as you look at this list, um, I will play kind of the beginning of the the first episode where you uh, where you joined the podcast. Here it is. Joe Wilson. Uh, oh, uh, we're going to introduce a co-host that we have for the show, and his name is Joe Wilson. Joe, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello. Hello out there in the podcasting world. Uh, my name is, in fact, Joe Wilson. Uh, I used to host a television show with Steve Jones 10 years ago on Napa Cable Access. Uh, it was called uh, Stage Right. It was the subsequent show after Stage Left. Um, it was short-lived, but it was glorious. Uh, we, had a, we had a legion of fans, and uh, then I departed and moved to San Diego, and the show went away. Uh, so this has, been, this has been 10 years in the making. We've been uh, waiting to reunite. Here we are. 10 years ago, actually two weeks ago. It's, That's right. Pretty exact to 10 years ago. Kind of so. crazy. Kind of crazy. Kind of crazy. How worked up. As it is, yeah, well, hopefully not the, the last or the first. The first of many, I hope. And so that was back in uh, 2014 that we started, uh, right at the beginning of 2014. Okay, pause. 2014. That was four years ago. Yeah. I feel like you just played what we just recorded. I know. minutes ago. We did (laughs) it. It's like we're we're starting over again. We're just repeating ourselves. Four years. (laughs) I know. I feel like you're coming full circle is what's happening. Oh, my God. I didn't realize it was that verbatim. I haven't I don't know if it's full circle or if it's just repeating the same stuff. Yeah. So tell me, tell me, Joe, about some of the uh, some of your favorite interviews. I mean, we can start early, just but we'll just touch on a couple of points. We're not going to go through every episode or anything, you know. But I mean, what was the you know first memorable? One? <clears throat> um, you know, the first memorable interview we had was Cowboy Mouth because we did that together, and yeah. it was it was. Weird. It was like, ah, oh, this is. I, I know. And we were on the floor of the Mystic Theater. Yeah, but that, that was back in the day. Joe, should we talk about concert pipeline? Oh, you're saying for, concert, for yeah, back in pipeline. in the concert pipeline. Once we started, we decided to start it as a podcast again because it was this thing that was missing from my life, and I was planning on doing it solo originally when we talked. And you're yeah, like, hey, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm not, you know, I'll, oh, yeah, hop I in said, on I'll be out. I was right. like, you need somebody to spice up that mic. Right. <laughs> it can't just be you talking. So, um, I would have to say the most memorable interview we did was probably, and this is going to suck because it wasn't good, but smash mouth. <laughs> I wish uh, it would have been so great. They, they, like, this guy fucking loves you. I, well, I told him when I interviewed him about a rock and, right, he, and he, I would have <laughs> fucking called you out. I'd be like, he wants to suck your dick. He loves you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing. Uh, probably the Kyle gas interview. Okay. Is the one that comes to mind. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, <clears throat> we interviewed Monkey before the at the atrium before the uh, before the we were supposed to interview uh, the toasters I want to say yeah yeah and they blew us off and it was like ah you bastards um, I don't know why we decided to do a streak at the atrium like it, by going to Santa it Cruz it was two in a row and we yeah. were both like this blows yeah. and I lived in Fremont and you lived in Napa so yeah. you drove from Napa to yeah. Fremont and picked me up drove from Fremont to Santa Cruz. Drove back to Fremont and then back to Napa. I did that? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was like, I mean, that's like 200 miles in a night. Right. <laughs> you were just like, wow. That's so a, insane. D- what were you, you on? Sure, you sure yeah. we didn't meet there? <laughs> you, no, you drove me. Uh, okay. 100%. Uh, 
Um, he was on Red Bull. No, he had a monster in the middle console, and he was like, if I get tired, I'll drink this. It was like his secret weapon. Right. He always had it available. Um, <laughs> but the Kyle Gass interview was the most memorable, and the line that, that it, it will ever stick in my mind was him grabbing the mic and being like, how did you guys get me? <laughs> How did you get me? He yeah. was, and then Casey party time, this, Casey party this time, local douchebag coming up and like crashing our interview and Kyle using that as an excuse to like escape. And then us being like, he's not going to come back and finish the interview. We didn't even stay for the show. We, we stayed for part of it. We, but I'm sure we left before it was over. We stayed we for part of it. We definitely, because he was like, get me after the show. Yeah. And he bailed. And I was like, oh, he doesn't want to do this interview. Yeah. I was like, Steve, he hates Wait. us. He looked at us like we were diseases when I was like, <laughs> I was like, hey, man, b- 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 music news. And he was like, how the fuck did this podcast get me? He said it. He was like, how did you guys get It's a little too easy, apparently, huh? Well, he had no idea because he would have been a phenomenal success had he finished the interview. I know. He'd be worth more than how much, Steve? Do you remember we used to play the money? Yeah, I do. That was get, a, that was a OG uh, get, episodes one get, through. We're gonna be playing money later in the show. Oh shit! Are you kidding me? I'm ready. I got, uh, some, I got some ready. I'm not fucking ready. No, you, you did research. I know you two are gonna play against each other. I have no idea what you're talking you're, about. You're gonna find out later in the episode of Cut Survival. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna play okay. the the host of a game of money. We're gonna do a lightning round of money. Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait. Can we skip to that part? <laughs> Don't scrub ahead. No, no, no. You'll be fine. You'll be. It's your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. That's yep. the money tagline for our TV show. Yes. Yes, there's a game that we played on the podcast back in the day, and uh, I thought that would be a good callback. That's a good segment. Nice so, callback. Nice I was segment. gonna, I was gonna save it, but uh, you. Well, I mean, you asked yeah. me what my favorite moment was. It was Kyle Guest banging <laughs> on us. <laughs> but that, that, uh, that's the most memorable moment. And he me. is on my list, by the way, uh, for the money game. Oh, so you'll get to know how much he's worth. So. Okay. okay. I remember. Because okay, you remember. There. Okay, then you got an advantage. But do I ever forget that kind of shit? No, you're you're numbers man. So. I don't forget, and I know exactly oh. how much he's worth. It's 1.5 mil. We're going to do a round of money. You could, that, that can be your submission. We'll see later in the episode. <laughs> uh, That's absolutely the answer. Okay, we'll see. It was in 2014 anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's been a couple of years. He's done, you know. Uh, we can go back. You can pull a clip from that Kyle Gass <laughs> episode where he played money. And I'll tell you. Uh-huh. Can I get a I'm preview or do I just have nope. to wing it? Yeah, we'll get there. We'll I'm get scared. there. No, no, Hold no, on to your britches. Wing, wing, wing. You'll be fine. Total fail. Yeah. No. Um, okay. So the Kyle Gass one is interesting. Any others you want to... Not interesting. It's I mean, it's memorable. memorable. Okay. Taking Back Sunday. That was a fun one for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool. We But the, what was interesting about that interview and, and memorable, so we get behind, we get, you know, backstage at the Warfield and we interviewed the drummer and the bassist. Yeah. Um, and then they bailed and the guitarist and the lead singer came in for the picture. And I was like, why aren't we taking a picture? I was like, okay. Uh, I was fine. I, I was going to take a picture with the other two and they were gone before I could even they, pull they, out my they phone. They literally were like, hey, they were the mouthpieces who talked for the interview. And then they were like, Adam. And then, and then those guys moved in just for the photo. And they, then they, they were just they were just back there, dude. Like they were, they were just. They were and in then, the room we were in. No, I know they'd done a different interview with the, that other guy. Yeah, and they were coming down the hallway, and they and, were like, "You want to take a picture? You want to take it with those guys?" And we were like, oh, yeah. "Did they say that?" Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, that was cool. I mean, yeah, yeah Adam and John. Uh, they're no, it was cool. Backbone. I, I remember one of them does uh, Matt's. He does jujitsu at Matt Sarah's gym in Long Island, New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a cool interview. It was cool to, to interview those guys for sure. So, but not. Uh, that was the only memorable moment for me was being like, why are we picturing, why are we taking a picture with the guys we didn't interview? 
Okay. And the other guy who does jujitsu. <clears throat> yeah. Metalachi? Yeah. Uh, Metalachi was a memorable interview for sure. Um, that was in San Jose. Yeah. Uh, what was the venue? I don't know. Some nightclub. Yeah, it was uh, the only time I've ever been there. Yeah, I've never been there. Um, Blind just, club or something. They yeah, started singing um, "Volver, Volver," which is a, a Mexican party song, basically by Vincente Fernandez. Um, that was a pretty fucking awesome moment because I was like, "Holy shit, I know this song!" And they started singing these, you know, five. Mexican Americans from uh, Los Angeles. So, and they stayed in character the whole interview. Yeah, they talked about chichis a lot. Yeah, they <laughs> talked a lot about titties. Uh, it was pretty funny. They were cool guys, though. Yeah. Didn't we see them here somewhere? Or am at I the fair? Yeah. yeah, it was Atticus's first yeah. concert. Technically, Both kids were there. Yeah, but but it was his first. So uh, oh, fantastic. Metalachi, Vegan's first concert, technically. Yeah. You know, so yeah, they played at the Napa Fair. That's <laughs> uh, let's see who else we Dude, got. Dude, you know why I remember them? Why? Yeah. Because that motherfucker security guy took our beer. Oh, yeah. yeah. At the fair. At the fair. Yeah. And he, I'm sure he went to his little and he drank security that shit. booth and just downed them all. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to pound these. Yeah. These poor bastards, they had no idea. Oh, my God. I remember that. Um, I remember a photo interview still with mad. Andrew where he counter-questioned me. Yeah. I was like, so about the Galaxy Sessions. You're like being, uh, you know, very fanish of. Oh my know. god, Galaxy Sessions is like the most obscure something corporate recordings, and he's like, what do you think the Galaxy uh-huh. Sessions are? And I was like, ah, and I know them, but I couldn't think of them in the moment because I was put in the spotlight, and I was, yeah. I thought I was going to throw him a really fucking awesome curveball and be like, yeah, this is a question he's never got before. Wow, <laughs> and he was like. Tell me what you think. <laughs> You're like, I, I, and you, I think you were like, uh, I think they're all great. Because I, I couldn't think. I was gobsmacked. I was yeah. like, they're great. all great. Yeah. yeah. I had no answer. He, uh, he schooled me. So the next interview, I'm going to have to uh, step my game up. Yeah. Like, Do you remember me? Well, I've been listening to it nonstop since then. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> ben Franklin's kind motherfucker. That's who I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Uh, one member interview that I did and uh, that was memorable for me was Eddie Money, um, and I interviewed him at a fair, you know, and just that was different than you know a lot of interviews for me because I mean I uh, I did it so I went out backstage and I talked to a lot of people who are a part of his world relief really, and have been for decades. Like I mean this this gal that was, uh, you know. Uh, she was a groupie, but she ended up becoming like family with him, you know, over time. They're not married or anything like that. You know, I'm, uh, I'm sure they banged back in the day, but, uh, uh, I'm but, pretty sure they're banging, right? <laughs> Still banging. but, but, you know, talk to her for a bit. This old, this journalist that has been, you know, kind of a part of his career and everything we to that show. We did wild yeah. coming bleachers. Yeah. Uh, well, the one above it. Oh, junior prom and Andrew McMahon in the wilderness. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was uh, episode 39, and uh, we did that in San Francisco at Slims. Slims. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was cool. That was a good show. That was one of Andrew, that was his first in the Wilderness Tour. We saw his first show together in L.A. Mm-hmm. At yeah. this, the, the Viper Room. Yeah. 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 I can't say it fast enough. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I was like, the snake? No. And the Viper, Viper. yeah, the Viper Room. Um, but that was cool. He played uh, Pop Underground, um, Synesthesia, which yeah. is a song he still plays live, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that was good. That was a cool show. We didn't get an interview, but we yeah. just went to the show together. No, I did. I had interviewed Junior Prom before the show, and uh, that was kind of our in for that show. So, 
Um, it was but, free ticks. Hey, can't beat it. And um, and always good to see Andrew. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, let's see what else we got. Um, interviewed uh, Twin Forks, which is Chris Caraba, also uh, going to be in Money later. Uh, so be thinking oh, wow. think about how much he's worth. <laughs> uh, see about any other ones that we did t- together. We went to Motion City Soundtrack. Uh, yeah, they run by night. We went yeah. to Motion City Soundtrack. They played uh, the ten year. Everything in transit. No, 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 no. That was no. You're right. It was uh, uh, commit this to memory. Yes, yeah. commit this. Sorry, to memory. I was thinking yeah. about okay. the ten year yeah, Frander. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they played a ten year of that, and then they broke up shortly after. Um, yeah. But that was a cool show. That was fun. Um, I never got into that band like you did, but um, it was still good. Nick Diamonds at uh, Fox Theater was fun. Great. That was cool. Uh, it was a fun interview for sure. Um, he's a weird dude. He was. He was a little <laughs> out there. Yeah. Nick Diamonds is a weirdo, but in a good way. Um, <clears throat> Sylvanesso. Sylvanesso was pretty fucking cool. That's actually, you know what? That's the best interview I think we ever did. I mean, you did because I even said in the interview that you know I because you about halfway through maybe I was a fan and you yeah. weren't. And no, you t- not just that. I can be. You know, I can talk to people I'm not fans with, uh, fans of necessarily. But because you guys started talking about Star Trek, and I hadn't gotten into it, I started right after that. Actually, you know, and when Leonard Nimoy impetus. died, that was the impetus behind you watching TNG. Yeah, and and Leonard Nimoy dying, and we talked about it on the pod. I'm like, I'm going to give this a shot, and I never really had before. I uh, I straight up, I asked my favorite question, my favorite interview question of all time, which is. Which is, what is your favorite TV show and why is it Star Trek Next Generation? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I don't know where that came to me from, but I was like, this is the best fucking question I could ever ask somebody because it's so weird. I even used it recently. Just when it was perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah. you did. What, what interview was that? Oh, I, which one was it? It was, it was perfect. It was, it was track. Uh, uh, I don't, uh, Steve Holtz. Yeah, Steve yeah, Holtz, that guy who was fucking out there. Yeah. He was a bizarre dude. Yeah. So you just um, threw this question at this guy. Uh-huh. It's originally, not like he has a history of living Star Trek. It was just <laughs> no, 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 no. It's because why the fuck not? We yeah. did it originally <laughs> at Sil- to Sylvanesso. Yeah. Because I was like, they're fucking nerds. They'll get it. Yeah. Uh, the Moon Alice interview was uh, entertaining. We went over to Sonoma. Yeah. Um, yeah corrected no, us and was like, start over. And we yeah, were yeah, like, pretty much right. What? And he was like, yeah, no, start over. Because I, pr- I said his name wrong. <laughs> yeah, you were like, McNamee. And yeah. he was like, we're going to start over. Start over. And I was like, okay. I know. But it was actually a pretty good interview. <laughs> yeah. He was he was a weird dude. Um, let's see. Lori Berkner, I did for my daughter. Uh, she's huge with four-year-olds. And she's a big goddamn deal. Yeah. I know who the fuck she is now. I have a three-year-old. Yeah. I mean, because they play him in schools and everything. They play her. And so. She was on uh, She was on some national. She's on Sprout. Um, she was on a national television show. That yeah. I can't she did a lot of stuff on Sprout. Okay, wait. Who's this? Lori Berkner. And, uh, and she's a child musician. So if I go, uh, like, get myself a three-year-old real quick, I'll know who she is? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. And so, was, so I was father of the year from that one because I got an interview with Lori. She did a song for the podcast for Fern that she left Fern choose. Fern dressed up all nice and everything. We just got to sit, you know, right at the front with the publicist and, um, and, and for, I mean, I mean, it's gotta be magical for a a young kid like that Mm -hmm. who you're listening to these songs, uh, so frequently, uh, and then get to see her live, but, you know, also get to interact with her, you know, I don't know, but I remember it makes it so real, right? Yeah, so I was excited kind of to share wherever it's a good connection. Yeah. 
Um, I remember when I thought that Guttermouth was the biggest interview of the show ever. Yeah, you did. Oh, my God. You're like, that's you. Uh, and even the guy, the lead singer, Guttermouth, is like, I, I hate my life. Yeah, nobody <laughs> even fucking knows who we are. No. I was super excited because I was like, I know who the fuck they are. Guttermouth is great. You were impressed by that one, huh? <laughs> um, man, so much. Jack's Mannequin, uh, which was the, the 10, 10 years, years in transit. transit. Yeah. Uh, which was cool as shit. And Jens, you were on. That I was just episode. gonna. I was just gonna say, which episode are we talking about now? Because Those we've seen this guy in concert a couple times. Yeah, now. this was the ten year, the, the ten year anniversary show where we met up with one of Joe's friends. I mean, yeah. some, you know, some old in and out people or whatever um, at the I show. Yeah, Ashley this is where Steve pissed, or you pissed, or somebody pissed. I pissed. The, you I pissed. pissed outside. Yeah. No, he pissed, and I took a picture of it. Right, we were videotaping. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve pissing. Yeah, I'm going, but, I still got that video. Somewhere. Which we should also post online. I don't think we need to do that, actually. But, oh my God, there's no way. I think we find should find that. No. I'd just be in the cloud, but let's go back. To, <laughs> let's go back. Quick. To scroll. 2016. You're like the date. You 121 2016. Oh yeah, you can find my date probably. So right. You can search my date. We're gonna know. bring back oh, really? some talent yeah, here. Oh, yeah. We're not talking about. Yeah. What? We're not talking about Jack's mannequin. We're talking about <laughs> Steve in the alley pissing on the wall. I don't know why that's necessary. Uh, but, but I don't have it on my phone. Oh, that's too bad. We're gonna. Oh, the good news is, team, that I can definitely find it another day. <laughs> oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, okay, who else we got? Um, Real Big Fish, Suburban Legends, that was and the Maxis. That was a big old ska show at the Fillmore. Did th- got three interviews out of that one, so three different shows. Um, fun. Re- oh, yeah. oh. oh no! Did you find it? It's come on. At least give us audio. <laughs> Steven, you're standing in it, dude. You're standing. <laughs> Okay, this is us in the car watching Steve piss. And if I remember correctly, he was writing his name on the wall. He did. You're correct. I'm punching this bitch and drive. Thank you for that, Joe. Uh, awesome. Those that. were the days, search man. Search future, you're like, you can search. Like, why? Why didn't you tell me that? Yeah, figure, great. you know, I'm all about the comedic timing, so. That's okay, you want to see the worst my hair has ever looked? I woke up like that, bitch. Oh, my God. You were 14 then? You look like a 14-year-old girl. <laughs> I thought he was a 14-year-old girl. What? No. Tell me, 14-year-old lesbian over here. Come here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that is unacceptable. <laughs> yeah, so true. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we're gearing up on episode 100. Um, th- right before episode 100, we had a three-part series, which was a show that we went to, Jens, um, and that was the big Do- uh, David Bowie celebration. Um, and that show was magical, and I, I could probably say that was my favorite concert of all time wow wow that's huge it was a fantastic experience wow you have always talked about it you've yeah. always been like that bowie show man it's yeah. legendary and they're doing it there's the tours continuing they're they're still doing other shows but it's not that it's not the same lineup there's other people who are involved with bowie and everything and kind of you know some musicians with him but 
yeah, I don't think if I if they come back again and I, I go to it, I just don't think it will be exactly the same. Though it would be awesome. Would but be. but this show uh, was just great from beginning to end. It was like five hours for me of Bowie music because they didn't have a sound check. It was a constant just practice because they got the L.A. group and the Oakland group together. That's right. They did both shows back to back. Yeah. So they, they did the whole like. It's what? Yeah. Not, it's not a it's, sound check. It's yeah, a, it's, it was just like a rehearsal. It's a rehearsal. Yes. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. It's a rehearsal. Yeah. And it's a long fucking rehearsal. I mean, it was like it was, three hours. It didn't end until right? until like right before the doors opened, really. And, and then you're staying because yeah. you already saw oh, the whole I mean, Yeah, thing. right, uh, there. And now and, people started flooding in. And, and, and we were just interviewing people throughout the night. Um, and so I, I interviewed Gary Oldman, which Oscar winner now, Gary Oldman. Oscar winner. Oscar Gary winner, Oldman. fantastic yeah. actor and a very good friend of uh, the our late David Bowie. Yeah, and so he was on Concert Pipeline before. You know, he won his Oscar, uh, and we talked about Bowie. I mean, that's just the thing with uh, these through these interviews that I did was I talked to them about Bowie and their impact more than their own kind of mu- music. I mean, though we did hit on that as well. I talked to Joe Sumner, who's Sting's son, Holly Palmer, who is in David Bowie's band, uh, Jerry Harrison from the Talking Heads, and who didn't really want to talk about the Talking Heads. I remember you talking about that interview. You and we were excited yeah. about. You know, getting some history about what it was like with the Talking Heads, but burr, nope. denied. Yeah, no, he, the tone he changed in the room. There. Yeah, <laughs> like, I was okay, like bad blood, or you, too many people ask you about this, JJ. or what's your deal? It's a sensitive subject, yeah. man, because David Burns is a dick. Yeah. I is mean, he really? by, by reputation, yeah, mm. he's just a dick, and it sucks because he's so fucking talented. He's so talented, and he's just the right kind of weird. He is you know? so weird. I wanted to see him at the Fox Theater when he played this last year, but I was like, I can't justify a $260 yeah. ticket. Yeah. I mean, there, there are several weird people, you know, on the planet, you know, that have existed during our lifetime um, that I absolutely adore, you know, and uh, uh, Byrne is one of them, mm-hmm. and um, the more cowbell guy, uh, oh. Oh, uh, bang, 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 Mark. Uh, Wolf, Mark Alba. No, 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 no. Christopher Walken. Walken. Christopher, Walken. Christopher Walken, fantastic. You should uh, get up here in the mic, by the way. Not you're, a musician. You're off playing in your phone. Come over I here. I have been. It's fun. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think Joe is um, justifying to his wife why he needs to stay for a few more hours. Pretty much. Uh, yeah, and uh, <laughs> one, one other interview to get you back in here that we almost had while we're talking about dicks uh, was... Devo. We're talking about dicks. When did we start talking about dicks? Yeah, the Devo. Oh, the Devo like interview. people that are dicks. I Just thought you meant actual dicks. dicks. Yeah, no, no. Steve was talking about actual dicks. Right. Uh, so I the it was Devo like, is pissing on the wall. Uh, I was talking about dicks. Yeah. Uh, the interview disintegrated, um, basically because he thought you were trying to get free tickets, and it was with Mark Mothersbaugh, right? It was like the lead singer. I think so. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, no, I mean, no, it was, it was the, the bassist. It was the other one. Yeah. Bob. No, it's not Bob. Uh, who are the Who are the other members of Devo? Uh, well, I know Mark, I know Bob. Well, it's all the guys that wear the funny hats. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was one of the ones with the funny hats for sure. So, uh, it was, oh, Gerald, Gerald, Ger- Gerald, Gerald, uh, Cassidy. Yeah. yeah. Um, Loved and, uh, and so we were emailing back and forth. I was emailing with him. It was kind of, they were going to be opening for arcade fire. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, uh, they had to, uh, fall out because Mark, uh, gotten like a kayaking accident or something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and, but you know, uh, but <laughs> the worst excuse I had a kayak. But this accident. this podcast is called Concert Pipeline, and I'm like, okay, well, so you know, we're going to do this interview. We're going to do it backstage. 
are we good for tickets? Because I've learned, you know, to make sure I'm on the list uh, for a show to be able to do an interview, right? Yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. There's been a time, yeah, not yeah, often, yeah, but I've yeah. had to pay for a ticket. And yeah, anyway, so it didn't, uh, he ended up kind of accusing me of pretty much of just He's being like, in it for the ticket. You just want a ticket. And I was you like, were like, we could do it at your hotel or something. Yeah, you were all, we can do it off site. Yeah. And he was like, I'm done with this. I got tickets. You're fine. But then, of course, they, they fell out and it didn't happen. So, right. flash forward to episode 100. We had Brendan James on the podcast, and that's the first time you guys came together. That's right. Uh, that's right. And I'm, you know what? Yeah. It was right here. It was right here on the patio. Yeah, 10 feet away from where we're sitting. In the rain. Yeah. And it was beautiful. It was amazing. Yeah. That was a really awesome. It day. was fantastic. Yeah, and I think the fun. acoustics really worked for that. Uh, Recording too. Yeah. He was good, man. He Brendan, was really good. Brendan played. We t- yeah. as tying into live in the vineyard. Brendan played. Uh, yeah. You know some songs on the patio. Did an interview, and you you were part of the interview for that the was first my, interview. The first interview I did with a band. Yeah, with you. And um, oh, you know what? He is such a nice guy. Yeah. Such a nice guy, and his drummer buddy is cool too. And I just can't believe that they came, you know, all the way out here, you know, to hang out on this beautiful piece of vineyard property, you yeah. know, and. It's a good setting it's for it, the afternoon. Really. I mean, mm. yeah. thanks, Brendan. Thank you, Brendan. <laughs> yeah. Live in the vineyard. That, that, was, vineyard. that was genuine. Exactly. It was literally live in the vineyard, right? Yeah. So literally. Uh, so that's uh, that's cool. And that was a, a passing of the torch, really, where you you copped in. And so episode one hundred. Yeah. I passed yeah. the torch. I actually I retired. You did. Uh, you, you you retired, he, and that was a complete surprise. I mean, uh, Steve had no idea that was coming. Yeah, I uh, dropped that on him. I dropped that hammer on him in in the middle of the episode. But I handled it with grace, right? You did. You so wait a minute. Grace. Why was I even on the show? I mean, I didn't know that Joe was going to pass <laughs> no, the torch. I don't to know. Me. I'm for whatever reason I on this a, podcast. I had like a six month old, and I was yeah. like, I need to be a dad. I need to yeah. go focus on that. So yeah, yeah. I was okay with time. that. Yeah. I was ge- I was gearing up at work too. There were a lot you know what, Joe? That's no excuse because I've seen a ton ever since <laughs> ever since I got the torch and Steve and I have been going to these awesome fucking shows. <laughs> Thank you, by the way. Thank you I for that. It. I blew it. You have missed out, and I've seen tons of dads with their six month olds on their shoulders going to these concerts. So that's <laughs> no excuse. Not, I'm not the cool dad. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, so uh, so we'll get into the second hundred uh, after we get have a, a great interview with uh, Mr. Ben Fong Torres. I became aware of this gentleman uh, through my favorite movie, Almost Famous, uh, where he is portrayed um, again the editor of Rolling Stone magazine with a fictitious band, uh, um, and uh, and and it was it was great. And so I you know I was put in touch with him by a publicist uh, who I've worked with and has been given us a, a lot of interviews and been really supportive over the years um, that we've been doing the podcast. And she's like, hey, I know Ben Fong Torres. I can set you up uh, with him. That was just an offer, like, hey. Yeah, I, I didn't ask for. No, you weren't researching this, right? No, not at all. No, you and she. Like, you are fucking kidding me. I know, and I was like, yeah. I, I mean, pass that and, up. And we have a lot in common, also. You know, I mean, he made money doing this, yeah. but and uh, you're both in love with Penny Lane. Yes. See, he met Penny Lane actually, or he's meeting her this month, I think, uh, because they're doing a screening of Almost Famous, and he's meeting like the real Penny Lane for the first time. Oh, really? Yeah. They're and they're. I don't know. They're doing a Q and A or something, but in San Francisco. But you know, so pretty cool, but. Um, Wait, he knew Penny Lane? No, she's, you know. No, no he, he's never met her. No, this yeah, is the no. first meeting. So, um, but he saw the movie. 
I'm sure he saw the movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, <laughs> and so, so she set this up really awesome to do, uh, do it. We have a lot in common. I mean, we both uh, went to San Francisco state and graduated in the Becker program there. Um, obviously the music, uh, thing. Um, the, I'm trying to, I'm blanking on some of the other stuff we have in common with this. We, oh yeah. He was born in Alameda. <laughs> Let's let's he was born in Alameda. Yes. I was so, fucking born there. I know. Dude, I lived in Alameda for two years. I had no idea this place ever existed until I moved to California and then I happened to just live in Alameda. Yes. All that right. place, I just have to spend two seconds. Moving to Alameda in 1996 yes. was like going back to 1945. Like nothing fucking changed in that city right. after World War II. Until I came. Until you came. And then all of a sudden there was like a Trader Joe's and there was a Starbucks and... Oh, you just see it now. It's and crazy. it just changed. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. <laughs> well, let's get into the interview with Ben, ben Fong Torres. Uh, here it is. Uh, we have a couple of friends who live in the area. So that's about it. Don't uh, do too much in there. We go mostly to St. Helena or Santa Rosa. Yeah. And in St. Helena, of course, Youngfield and all the surrounding towns. Um, that's about it. We haven't been there since the fires, I don't think. Yeah, yeah I, it was it was a scary time. Like I was, you know, evacuated from my house for a week and a half. Oh and, wow! And uh, you know, I mean, I didn't know for a couple of days whether my house would still be there. When but I you're okay. Out. Was that? You're, but you're okay. Oh, yeah, the house yeah. is okay. Yeah. Yeah, my kids were with their mom, you know, in mm-hmm. Fair, Fairfield, so they were good. I mm-hmm. neighbor just called and was like, "You got to get out," you know, and so I you know, didn't say, you know, I just got the two pets. I got my work computers and. I mean, wow. two banners. I mean, really, like, wow. that, that's it. I didn't even get clothes. Like, you don't know how to prepare for that. It's like the bad. banner. Like, it's my, that's my most prized possession right yeah. there, you know? Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. All righty. So, are we supposed to hold the mic? Yeah, if you want to. Uh, I don't like doing that. Like well, okay. I, I have a solution, though. You do? So okay. I'll be right back. Sure. Yeah. We're talking about whatever. It's just a free, oh. free-form conversation. So, okay. like I said, this will probably be on the 200th episode. So it's kind of you know going to be a retrospective. But okay. um, but I'm excited to talk to you. You know, really about um, how you got started in the in the music industry mm-hmm. and in um, journalism, um, journalism, music journalism. So okay. why, why don't we start there? I mean, I know you uh, you grew up working in your your parents' restaurant and um, and so what was it for you that you latched on to to music at, at a young age? Well, I grew up in the 50s, and uh, us kids were raised in our parents' uh, restaurants in Chinatown and other Chinese restaurants. And so we wound up doing a lot of chores and uh, doing all our homework at the restaurant and not having many days off or vacations. So there were only a couple of escape valves, at least for me, and one of them was radio. And so I would hear our baseball games of the uh, local Oakland Oaks at that time and uh, music. And this was before rock and roll. So it was pop music uh, called Middle of the Road, although R&B was certainly around at the other end of the dial. And rock and roll came forth by the mid-50s, when I was about 10 years old. And so that was my escape. I just loved hearing the music and you begin to fantasize when you're a kid about being what you see and like, whether it's on the page or on the air. And I liked both of them. I would read stuff and say, wow, that was funny, and that'd be cool to be able to to write like that. Or you'd uh, hear a song, 
from a Broadway musical like Oklahoma and say, that is clever rhyming. I'd like to do that. And then you hear a disc jockey raving about uh, Elvis Presley or or Little Richard or whatever. And then you say, wow, that'd be fun to just get paid for playing records yeah. and, and, and running contests and hearing you, and you get your own jingle. And well, that, that sounds good. So while I'm peeling prawns and waiting on tables, uh, I have these thoughts that, wow, man, you know, there's, there are all these other worlds out there. And so I began to gear myself towards those worlds uh, in school by way of school activities in uh, both junior high and high school. But I was always realistic enough to know that the chances were pretty slim that I would go anywhere uh, in these two areas, or more than two, uh, in terms of media and, and journalism, writing, uh, radio, music, all that stuff. Because as a Chinese-American in the 50s and early 60s, there were no role models for me. They, uh, there, were, there was one byline at a college humor magazine at Cal, Berkeley. There was one broadcaster, a Chinese guy, Herb Wong, who was a weekend DJ on KJazz. Okay. And that was good to hear his name and to hear he's on the radio, but he's a part-timer. His full-time thing is he was a teacher. So there weren't a lot of inspirations for me to pursue this. And uh, so my role models in real life were people like Steve Allen, who was a great talk show host, comedian, actor, pianist, songwriter, (laughs) uh, and a few other things, author of maybe a couple dozen books over the years. And Gary Owens, who had this magnificent uh, voice and ridiculous sense of humor. And he was in Oakland at the Top 40 station, KEWB, so he became an idol of mine, and I had a chance to meet him um, fairly early on in my life as a teenager. And so we remained friends for um, all these years until his passing a few years ago. And he would sometimes offer advice and, and inspiration. And that was nice. And that kind of compelled me to pursue further uh, these areas in college. And so, and going to San Francisco State, I found myself in a place where things were quite liberal, to, to put it mildly. Yeah. And doors were open, and there was nobody looking askance at you when you walked in and said, I'd like to be part of the radio station, or I'd like to become a reporter, because I had done some in high school, and I know my way around uh, the written word. And they just, yeah, sure, come on in. What, what do you want to cover? Uh, or come on in. Uh, let's hear how you sound. And, um, and then suddenly you're on the campus radio station and beyond um, in college. So... I had encouragement from uh, SF State, which also happened to be a hotbed of the cultural changes and social changes going on in the mid-60s now we're in. And so I happened into the 60s going to SF State. And the characters you run into include rock and roll people. Uh, Grace Slick comes onto campus with her first band, Great Society. And Janis Joplin comes in during the summer to do a little rehearsal at an art gallery uh, with Big Brother and the holding company, unannounced, and I just happened to be walking 
through the quad and heard the music, and so I wandered in, and that's who it was. So that's my first meeting of Big Brother and the holding company. This was around 1966, probably, shortly after Janice came in from, from Texas. And Bill Graham and Chet Helms, the two main promoters of concerts, would uh, regularly come by the campus and tack up those posters. Yeah. Those classic, legendary, iconic posters were just advertisements back in the day, and they would go and staple them up on bulletin boards and, and poles, and people would collect them, and it was like baseball cards of the, of the 60s scene. And so I was surrounded by the emerging scene as well as the politics of civil rights and anti-war, pro-legalization, uh, equality for third world, just... All these movements were swirling around protests of the Vietnam War. And so these things became part of your beat, what you covered as part of going to college. And so I went from being a reporter to being the city editor, which meant assigning stories, and then editor of the daily paper. So that was an incredible uh, educational grounding for the next step, which was basically a rolling stone. Yeah, so. yeah. And your parents were supportive uh, of uh, this interest and this passion of yours? Uh, My parents might have been supportive if they knew what I was doing because of a severe language barrier between us. They never really knew what was up with any of their kids. Sometimes they would kind of get an idea of what my brother was doing in terms of studying criminology and what my sister was doing at Cal and uh, me... They kind of knew I was writing for the newspaper and then later on for some newspaper that might be connected with hippies or rock and roll, this young people's music. There were no Chinese words for a lot of the things we would want to explain to them or discuss with them. And so there was very little communication. We just kind of went off on our own. And then it was not until many years later when I had books out, including a memoir, uh, and therefore had an appearance at a Chinatown branch of the public library in Oakland, that they came over and saw the crowd, and there were people there who could speak Cantonese and pretty much just told them what this was all about. I had told them that I was writing a book, yeah. which was alarming to them. You know, the, They were quite private people, didn't want to have our family stories and secrets told, and so they were worried about it, but at the bookstore, they got enough positivity from uh, their friends and neighbors about me and what I had done that they felt better about it. But of course, they never read the book. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so, tell me about your entrance into Rolling Stone. I mean, that was it was in its infancy when it, you started, and um, ultimately ended up becoming editor until '81. Rolling Stone started in late 1967, which was after the Summer of Love, amazingly enough. Uh, and my roommates and I were all involved in various uh, wings and arms of media and music. And so we all read Rolling Stone uh, at our flat and passed it around and everything. And uh, one at one point... Um, one of the roommates knew about a concert that was going to be happening in our neighborhood featuring a blues band out of Chicago playing a free concert to promote a Dick Clark production about hippies, a movie about hippies by the uh, 
American Bandstand guy. And that struck me as weird. Yeah. So I called Rolling Stone's office, and uh, they said, no, we haven't heard about this. Sure, why don't you run on down and see what you can find out about this thing. So I did. It's just an unbylined short item that would be kind of like a random note uh, today. And so they printed it. And so just like that, the door was open. And turns out that one of the uh, editors there was uh, John Burks, who had been at San Francisco State two or three years before me. So we kind of knew each other from the campus paper. And so he saw my my name and said, hmm, uh, you know, we can use some more help here. And so let's uh, maybe we can bring in someone like Ben. So I freelanced for them for almost a year from 68 to uh, early 69, writing about maybe six or seven stories. I had a job at the phone company magazine, editing and writing there, a straight job, I guess you can call it. And so they called me in. And uh, between my love of music, knowledge of radio, having covered a lot of the scene at San Francisco State and um, availability, Jan Winter made me an offer uh, that slashed my salary from the phone company down about 25, 30%. And you just said, yeah, I'm there. All right, sign me up. Who needs money anyway? And so I joined Rolling Stone, and I was there on the masthead from May of 69 to in the early 80s. So right. a, a, a fun dozen years. Yeah, and uh, you've talked before about you know some of the, your your greatest kind of um, interviewee interview subjects mm-hmm. uh, being uh, like Ray Charles and um, uh, and tell me a little bit about um, interviewing Ray Charles and what made that special for you. Well, back then they were talking about the early seventies, probably seventy two it was, and the way ideas came up uh, would be from the editors and writers, our correspondents, or ourselves. And it wasn't so much uh, based on popularity or someone being hot uh, or focus studies or any of that stuff. It was really by feel. Someone would just say, hey, we haven't done uh, this artist, or we we should follow that mayor in Cleveland around. He's making some noise. That could be a good story. It's from clippings and friends and and associates. And in my case, Ray Charles was coming to town to play probably a jazz festival. So I just raised my hand and said, hey, uh, I'd like to go after Ray Charles for a Rolling Stone interview. And so he hadn't done anything in terms of the Rolling Stone world except for a pop-in with Aretha Franklin at the Fillmore West. And so beyond, after we just kind of shot it around back and forth. You know, is there much going on with him? Well, not much, but Ray Charles, come on. The foundation of a lot of what we're doing here at Rolling Stone. So they said, all right, go get him. And so it wound up, I followed him around to, I guess, L.A., Washington, and one other city. And hung out with him at the recording studio, at a hotel, uh, other places. And what happened was that he had been so ignored by the new culture and the media that he was really quite angry that here I am, I'm Ray Charles and nobody knows, nobody's buying my records and nobody's hiring me except for these jazz festivals and small clubs and 
So he had a lot on his mind. Uh, so I just caught him at the right time and got along well with him and wound up getting him to talk about some stuff he had not discussed with other major magazines, especially about his use of hard drugs and how he, how he kicked them. And so that was kind of a, an exclusive, I suppose. And we wound up, I, I say we, because um, even though the uh, award came to me, it's clearly his work uh, for the ASCAP, ASCAP Deems Taylor Award for uh, Magazine Writing, a national award. So that was my first big one. And so that's why Ray Charles stands out, as do Marvin Gaye and Linda Ronstadt and Diane Keaton and, uh, to, to a certain extent, Bob Dylan, uh, who posed a challenge because when I met him for an interview, finally, after inveying him for some time, I sat down and I pulled out my recorder. And he wouldn't he let said, you record, right? No recorder. Oh, oh, all right. And you couldn't argue because he had been going through this period where he was being, he was having his trash cans violated, uh, not violated, but invaded right, yeah. by groupies and scavengers and people just looking for gossip about him or mementos that they could sell, you know, bootlegs of his concerts. Uh, he, he, was, he was feeling violated. And so he was particularly protective of this sort of a thing, of there being a cassette tape of me yakking away. So he wouldn't let me do it. And I just pull out a notebook and start writing like crazy. Yeah, another yeah. challenge. You've faced some uh, some big challenges in your, your interviewing, and you, you mentioned kind of being the right place, right time, sort of thing. I mean, talk to me about Jim Morrison and that interview. Yeah, that was. I mean, it the, wasn't really an interview. You've said no, it's kind of a conversation. It an, like, yeah, it was an accident, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, when I would go to Los Angeles, which was quite a bit in the old days, we had uh, correspondence in Los Angeles, but I would pop down there to do a story or two now and again, and to just oversee the uh, office, see how things were going, since I ran the music section. And so I would pop down there, and there was a woman who uh, named Diane, Diane Gardner, who was a publicist for a large company in Los Angeles whose clients included the airplane up in San Francisco, and the doors down south with another dozen bands probably and so she had this apartment in west hollywood that she sometimes turned into kind of an open house salon and so when she wasn't in the office or on the road it'd be just go hang out at diane's and so you go there and smoke and drink and chat meet people uh talk about the business whatever and so one day I was there and it turned out that Diane lived downstairs from Pamela Curson who was Jim Morrison's uh, girlfriend uh, his main girlfriend I think there were probably more than than uh, her and so while we were just hanging out with maybe four or five people around Jim came in uh, looking for Pam and Diane said I think she's out but you can hang out with us so he did he just popped in and sat down and started yakking and so at one point I approached him and said hey well, would you mind having a little chat with me and so he didn't really know who I was early in our conversation he revealed that he thought that I was somehow related to the Rolling, Rolling Stones. Stones yeah <clears throat> like a foreign exchange student studying American pop culture I don't know then he got into it, and we had a very good time. Probably chatted for about 90 minutes, 
and uh, he asked as many questions as he answered. So it really wasn't an interview, even though it's been uh, described as his last interview in America before going to Paris, where he died. And so, but I'll take it because, yeah, we did chat about the Doors and their direction back to blues, his own interest in in filmmaking and in poetry, uh, his planned travels, uh, and and and. United States politics, uh, the need for uh, leadership among young people. Uh, and he asked about the scene in San Francisco. He had bought his film, one of his short films, to a film festival in San Francisco where it was apparently not received well. And that might have been anti-LA bias or anti-Doors bias or whatever, but he stung from that. So he had questions about how the thing, how the scene was going in San Francisco and uh, Bill Graham and the Fillmore and Jan Winter and Rolling Stone. So it was a nice, nice, friendly exchange. Uh, we, and we have it. I, ha- I, I kept the tape. Unlike Bob Dylan, I was able to tape it all. And um, it's even on CD somewhere out there in the ozone. Yeah. And, and so how did that impact you kind of like as a person being, you know, because I imagine you're like, okay, he was just here with me. I was just talking to him. And then, you know, and then he goes over and, and you know, and mm-hmm. tell me how that impacted you. Well, uh, it was sad uh, having just seen him and hearing about his plans. And then he goes over to, to Paris and then suddenly we, we get the word in July that he's gone. And. What happens, though, is that by that time, we're talking 1972, so I've been there for about three years at Rolling Stone, and I'd been a journalist at uh, SF State for three years before that. And so what happens is that that part of you locks in. So you have a job to do. You have a deadline to meet. You have a bunch of people to talk with, and you need to learn about a bunch of other people that you should talk to all within the next, say, four days. And that includes a trip to Los Angeles and then making phone calls like crazy and running around and seeing people or uh, meeting at various offices to get the story um, on what happened with Jim Morrison and to get his life story because it's a combination news story and obituary. And so that's, that's you know, you're, you're in shock sometimes with these situations where these are people that you grow not necessarily fond of, but certainly uh, respectful of. And not only as people, but also as artists and entertainers. So when a Janis Joplin dies, um, you just feel bad, uh, not only for her and her family and her fans, but just... What is going on that suddenly young people, young, successful, talented people are veering off? And it's Brian Jones, and it's Jimi Hendrix, and it's Al Wilson, and it's Mama Cass, and it's on and on it goes. And so that was probably what the main impact was, was the realization that uh, how, how not, not just a cliche like how short life is, but just the mystery of this whole world of... Um, aiming for success, attaining it, and then dealing with it, whether it's uh, drugs or failure. So many artists who came along became or turned out to be one-hit artists. What did that do to their esteem and their career and their psychology? And so 
charting all these different musicians over the years uh, gave me a pretty good lesson about life. And so uh, one of the many, many rewards of leaving the phone company and joining Rolling Stone. Yeah, and so I want to ask you a little bit about your uh, writing uh, of, of books as well, because you've uh, done a, a handful of books at this point, and uh, and I've prepared as much as I can. I've read through a lot oh. of a lot of your uh, writing uh, in advance of this interview, and one thing that I just really admire is um, your kind of completeness you, uh, in your writing. Like you, you interview so many subjects in telling a story that. You know, I mean, it's you try and show it from every possible angle, right? Mm -hmm. So, so tell me about your approach when you go into writing a, a book. Well, it, de it depends on the subject, um, and also depends on the availability and access to the subject. And so, when there isn't availability, as in they are dead, then you have no choice but to call up uh, everybody you can think of to talk about Graham Parsons or Lowell George of Little Feet or Jerry Garcia. And what you run into there is uh, that whole Rashomon thing, that uh, depending on who you talk to, you get a different angle, different story, different perspective, different claim of what the facts were and what happened, what their role might have been in it, positive and negative. And so you wind up having to play not just a writer and editor, but also judge and jury as to who to go for. And so the more you can accumulate the clearer the picture might be. And then you learn, okay, this person is just not reliable. Uh, and so I'm going to go with this version of the story and then see what that does in terms of leading to the next part of the story. And so it's a, it is like a combination of journalism and detective work. Uh, but the judge and jury thing uh, came, has come to mind a number of times when you hear all these opposite views on what happened to this person or uh, the, how that backstage fight uh, started, or uh, how much, uh, or which management person cheated them out of how much money, uh, all these complicated parts of the of a career in in the music industry, and you have to sort it out. And that's what I've done for several of the books. Others are just kind of fun things to do, like uh, the hits just keep on coming, uh, the history of Top 40 Radio, because I was a Top 40 geek and freak. And so that's a little easier. Then there have been compilations of my articles, and that's not so difficult, really, just choosing and programming the uh, articles one after another, representing 30 years of, of being published up to that point. So I've done, I think I've done 10 books, starting with the Motown album, and ending with uh, the Little Feet one that came out a, a couple of years ago. Yeah, and, uh, you you kind of started to talk about this a little bit, but like with Gr uh, Graham, right? Like, I mean, when he, uh, you're exploring interviews of his, where he's not even telling the full truth, or maybe it is his truth at the the time, but you you have to kind of poke holes in it, right? Well, yeah, Graham was known even by his uh, loved ones to uh, be <clears throat> a, a tall storyteller. He he was not reliable. And so, and I think sometimes he just got into the mood of playing with a journalist or an interviewer and making things up. Yeah. And so that was his way of having some fun. And so you have to go in knowing that even the life story told by the subject is unreliable. And so you have to poke holes or just get to his family 
in Waycross, Georgia, in Jacksonville, Florida, at the Bowles School uh, in Florida, and just get as many perspectives on him uh, and, and stories, anecdotes, uh, as possible, all the way through his work with uh, the, uh, the International Submarine Band and um, uh, the Birds for Sweetheart of the Rodeo, and then the Flying Burrito Brothers, and then Emmylou Harris, and that was about it, I guess, um, and try to find witnesses uh, on all levels to tell the story. And again, it's Rashomon, because we're talking about people from the 60s here, and so you're not going to get the straightest yeah. uh, stories from almost anybody. Emmy Lou probably would have been the closest to objective as well as passionate about him but she didn't want to talk in the but book. she didn't want to talk for the book yeah but fortunately i had interviewed her before yeah so i was able to use some of that yeah and and so when you're talking about a story that's that old and dated what is it about you that says is like there's a story to tell here and i have to tell it no i don't do that um in my career and this is not a good reflection on me but the fact is that the majority of the books i've done have been other people's ideas so there was somebody in the publishing industry at a party in New York City just talking about ideas and uh, possible subjects for a book. And this guy came up with Graham Parsons. And so um, whatever his inspiration was, he began to ask around. And my agent, Sarah, said, hey, I think I may have somebody for that project. And so then she connects us and I send them what I've done on Graham Parsons, not much, but I had happened to have written a piece for Esquire magazine about Graham. So sent that in, and of course that was full of holes. That was a mess in terms of not being factual. And, but they said, okay, you, you can have the book. And so Hickory Wynn was assigned and done. Same thing happened with Grateful Dead. They came along and said, we're thinking about doing what they call a scrapbook a book that has all kinds of dimensions and memorabilia and inserts and cutouts and stuff. And uh, we need somebody to write a narrative for it and also explore a few songs uh, of the Grateful Dead's. You want to do that? Okay. And The Doors, By The Doors, same thing. And pretty much every damn book I've done was someone else saying, hey, Ben, got an idea for you. And if I'm not too busy and, or if I have a great interest in it, uh, or the money's good, then we make a deal. So that's happened, I guess, nine or ten times. Yeah, very nice. And and so tell me about Like a Rolling St Stone, the documentary about you that's uh, being created. There's a documentary uh, entitled Like a Rolling Stone. I think they're going to keep it at that right now. Uh, you never know. That's been in the works for more years than I care to say, but let's say eight. And so... It's amazing that my hair hasn't turned white or disappeared from footage of the beginning of the documentary to a more recent visit with Ben. And so Suzanne is lucky that uh, I have not turned into a Billy Joel or something like that, uh, or an Elton John, in terms of... You hold of your youth well, so... Huh? <laughs> you hold your youth well. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, I'm holding it somewhere. And... Uh, so her idea was to do a portrait of me uh, from the angles of being a Chinese-American son of immigrants uh, crossing into, I wouldn't call Rolling Stone a mainstream, but to become an editor and writer of a uh, well-respected national music magazine 
and also crossing over into broadcasting and becoming a disc jockey on the top station in San Francisco, KSAN at that time, right. freeform progressive rock station, on weekends. So you're doing Rolling Stone Monday through Saturday, uh, day and night, and then popping over to um, KSAN to do a music show and sometimes combining the two uh, so that if I'm working on a story on Stevie Wonder, I can also say, hey, Stevie, you want to be a guest disc jockey on Sunday? You're not doing anything before the concert, right? No, all right. So he comes in and chooses some music and talks about it. And David Crosby did the same thing. Steve Martin did the same thing. He didn't choose much music, but he did sight gags on the radio. That was fun. Yeah. And so um, uh, Suzanne's take is uh, a bit about my career, a bit about the whole immigrant thing, a bit about the 60s and the, and the culture uh, of that time and how I uh, navigated it, and probably to a certain extent what's happened since uh, Rolling Stone, uh, which is nothing really. So, But she has footage of me doing on stage interviews and other stuff on stage with uh, the old Carlos Santana and uh, Quincy Jones and oh, I don't know, a few others, maybe Maria Moldar. I'm not sure she caught that one, one. But she and a crew have been grabbing stuff uh, on me and they have a ton of material. They just need to finish the damn thing. Yeah. And so along those lines, what do you, you're having a documentary made about you. What do you want your legacy to be? Uh, overall, you've done so much. Uh, oh, I don't think along those lines. I don't think uh, that's for someone like Suzanne to do, probably. When, when I was asked recently what I was um, happiest about uh, or proudest of of my long career, I think I thought back to that those first role models I had, and uh, like Steve Allen who was able to do so much and inspired me to want to do more than just one thing. And so I think I'm proud that I was able to, in a way, follow in the footsteps of a Gary Owens or a Steve Allen and pursue stuff you might not expect someone to do once they've set up a certain arena or area for themselves. So Gary Owens is a disc jockey. All right, that's it. No, he can also be on television on Laugh-In. He can also draw cartoons. He has been since he was a kid. He can also write comedy skits. He can also be, you know, whatever. And the Steve Allen thing, that's ridiculous. He did, he did everything. And so for me to have been able to do a few things and even, for example, as a journalist, you're not expected to be an entertainer. So for me to go from Rolling Stone to KSAN and become a disc jockey telling occasional stories and jokes and uh, chatting with friends and with celebrity artists, that's quite different. Then to go from there to singing, because I can sing. And therefore, even though I did it at Rolling Stone at our No Talent shows, in more recent decades I have been popping up not only at uh, karaoke bars, but with live bands. And so there's a, a, a small ensemble of a guitar player and a, a keyboard player with whom I make the circuit at the end of the year and play uh, a senior facility or two and the broadcast legends luncheon, their holiday luncheon. So we do a couple of uh, Christmas time songs and a couple of standards or some Elvis or whatever. Um, we can th fit in. So that's fun. And so it's, uh, 
that's what I'm, I think that's what I'm happiest with is that I was able to dabble in a lot of different things and not just have one job as a bus driver, for example. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so being in the, you know, realm you're in, I mean, was there a piece of you that ever wanted to be a professional musician or? Yes. As a kid, um, hearing music, it was just like the disc jockey thing and the writing thing. Hearing music being made and watching it on Ed Sullivan or watching Elvis and then the Beatles and all the ones between, you just wanted to be able to at least try. But working day and night at the family restaurant or other jobs to support the family gave you really no time to run off to a piano room at state and play learn piano uh we couldn't really afford instruments uh like drums i like drums but never had a chance to do that at all i love keyboard playing but again just there was no time for lessons i love the guitar but again time so all through these years i have not been able to do any of that stuff until i had hip replacement surgery about four years ago, I think. And so I had a guitar sitting around more as a decorative item and friends would come by and and play it, put it in tune first and then play it. And so I said, well, I'm recovering. I'm going to learn to play the guitar finally. And I didn't because I recovered too fast. Damn it. (laughs) Dr. Van Warmerdam, you're too damn good. Give me a give me a chance to 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 look through one DVD or YouTube lesson, but after I recovered, I said, "Hell, I had that thought about the guitar. I'm going to pursue it anyway." So I did pick it up, and I bought a three quarter size model because the Elvis model I had was really is full bodied, full big, full size big. So I bought a couple of guitars that were more playable for me, and then dusted off my VHS tapes of lessons, bought a couple of DVDs, went online, called a couple of guitar-playing friends, and uh, had a couple of uh, one-on-one lessons, and determined that I'll never learn to play guitar. But you can learn a dozen chords, yeah. and you only need really three to play Tom Petty. Right. So, <laughs> uh, so I'm very happy with where I'm at um, in terms of being able to hear uh, think of a song and say oh yeah that uh, Grateful Dead song or that Ricky Nelson song or whatever and say let's look it up and you go to guitar chords and you see oh okay this is an in my range D C F A A7 okay I can do that and then you write it down and then you play through it and sing with it and say oh, wow I could get through this song I'm not I'm not uh, picking anything. There's no finger picking, nothing fancy, but still you can fake your way through a song and enjoy yourself. So I'm doing that. I have a book of probably a hundred songs now and have even snuck it out in public a few times. Yeah. But it helps that with senior uh, centers, they don't really notice. They can't really hear it. They just want someone to pay attention to them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're just there entertaining away, singing Vaya Con Dios or whatever, and they're happy. Yeah. And so as we wind out, I'd be miss if I don't ask you about Almost Famous, mm-hmm. my favorite movie and your portrayal in that movie. Uh, tell, tell me your thoughts about kind of how, the reaction to that and your, I mean, your character in that. Yeah. Uh, in terms of Almost Famous, uh, which keeps coming back and coming back, there's going to be a screening in San Francisco next month at, uh, in October at the Roxy. And they're bringing in Penny 
Penny Lane, the real Penny Lane. Oh, wow. I've never met. I, uh, that will be interesting. Uh, and so for uh, the movie, I felt that Cameron um, wrote and produced a lovely love letter to a time in his life when he was falling in love with music and the people who were behind the scenes, both on stage and, and backstage. And so I think he did a good job doing that. He based it on reality, his own joining or beginning to write for Rolling Stone at age 14 or so, uh, with my giving him his first assignments and editing his first stories. And uh, so I think that's all very nice and well done. The only thing is that uh, pretty much all of my friends i only have two so both of my friends and my family members uh, said that's not you yeah and uh, because uh, you actually have a sense of humor and on the on the screen there's this guy who's just chasing after this kid and being stern and being um, uh, gullible giving him a thousand dollars for his first story uh letting him pitch it as a think piece which we have not had in Rolling Stone except maybe some political commentary. And, you know, so, uh, and then not believing the kid and uh, believing a stoned rock star over our reporter who had notes and tapes. So it's all the movies. It's it is. all movies. And it's all act one, two, and three. You've got to have an antagonist and you've got to have some obstacles and bumps in the road, and, you know, uh, every love story winds up in the second act with them falling apart and having a stupid argument and break up and misunderstanding, and then in act three, they come back together. Well, that's the Hollywood formula, and that's how it was applied to Almost Famous. That said, though, it is really quite a gift from Cameron, and the proof of it is that it continues to delight people of uh, the current generation, people 30 40 years younger than me are discovering it and saying, wow, what a great movie. So, wow. It's a beautiful story. And, uh, and, and you, I heard you say the most truthful thing in part about your character was the wardrobe, right? Well, they got, they got how loud my shirts were yeah. about right. Yeah. Uh, I often wore a shirt that would be up around 9 or 10, if not uh, 11 from Spinal Tap. But, uh, so they got the color of my shirts pretty good and then and and the guy who played me terry chen out of canada was superb and came into town on his way to los angeles to meet me and i said hey terry i have a video of my appearances on this uh, syndicated uh, evening magazine show where i did interviews with uh, pop stars and comedians and I did the intros and outros from my office at Rolling Stone. So you can see, if you like, how I looked and acted and little uh, gestures and movements. And so we sat through three or four of those, and I think that helped to inform him of uh, uh, what I was like. And still, the script is the script. He can only do so much. And so he can put in his own jokes uh, or whatever. Uh, but he came by, did that, went down to L.A. and started the movie, and then a couple of weeks later, because I was writing an article about this experience for the Chronicle, I went to L.A. and went to the studio where they had the setup of the Rolling Stone office, and that was a weird feeling. It was not near exact, but still just that atmosphere of uh, a rock magazine with posters and albums and books, and you know, it was a close enough uh, uh, replica. And so I hung out that afternoon 
and would give Cameron a couple of notes here and there about things that were in the script to make corrections to be more factual. And so I had a slight hand in that. Uh, and, and of course, saw Terry costumed as me. And I would say, Terry, that shirt's just not loud enough, man. Get on another one. No, I didn't do that. No. But it was fun. And, and, and clearly, uh, it brought me extended recognition because uh, a new generation knows me as that guy, that mean guy in Almost Famous. It's a character, right? So That's a character. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Fuck off. All right. Well, Ben, thank you for uh, taking the time today. My pleasure. Definitely. Here we are now shaking hands. We are. Yeah. Here we go. There yeah. it is. Oh, yeah. Did it, did it. Can't, can't fake it. No, okay. you can't fake that. It's, come on. <laughs> awesome. Somewhere, some camera's watching us, so we've got to be uh, above board. Right. All right. Oh, is your time up? Yep, we're good. Oh, yeah. Okay. That was the interview with Ben Fong Torres. And uh, like I said, so honored to have him on the 200th episode of Concert Pipeline. Yeah, he's a legend, man. Yeah, exciting. Yeah, so let's talk about the uh, second hundred episodes, um, and you can chime in, Joe, and uh, when you feel like it, even though you weren't really a part of it. Okay. Okay. But I'm confident that he listened to every. He, I, I know he did. One yeah, absolutely. Right. On his way to work, on his way back from work, at work. Right. Uh, so. Hundred episodes start. Every day, Alan listening to his concert pipeline. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, you didn't do a lot of interviews, Jens. We'll just call, uh, okay, call a spade a spade. I'm going to say that. Uh, yes, that is true. And I'm trying to figure out why I did not. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, part of it is my, you know, crazy schedule uh, that doesn't really work for me in terms of nightlife things. Um, but uh, we did do a few con- uh, a few interviews together. We did, we did, and um, and we did a phone interview as well. Uh, which uh, I mean, let's let's talk about. I mean, we interviewed Joe Lewis Walker, right? We did. Remember that? So we. You don't. You don't Joe doesn't. That? He's the jazz guy, right? Here. I never listened to that episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. now, he listened to it. It just wasn't memorable. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. He's a fantastic jazz artist um, that we saw at that jazz place with a name that I always fucking forget. Yoshi's. Yoshi's. And I think they, I think they closed in San Francisco. But we saw him uh, over in Oakland. And um, what a guy. What a guy. I mean, not just a great musician, but... You loved his boots, too. Loved his boots. Alligator skin. I mean, I can't... I've never met anyone in my life who has such high expectations for... The quality of you know mm-hmm. boots, right? And uh, so that that was a fun one. Uh, you enjoyed the show. Uh, let me see. We did a, 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 some interviews with some blues artists that were um, graciously given by uh, John Lappin, who per, who we did those interviews and ultimately got to interview uh, Foreigner, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, pretty awesome to have them on the show. And since then, they've been on the show. I mean, they've been on the show a total of three times. I've interviewed three members of Foreigner at this point. Yeah, And I don't know what my fucking problem is. I mean, as soon as you said Foreigner, I was just looking at this beautifully printed out list of all everyone we've ever had on the show. And I was just looking at Foreigner. And that, I might be wrong, but that was in uh, 2016 yes. um, in my backyard. Uh, right? Wasn't no, that? You are, I mean, the, oh, okay. That was, what the, that was where the show is. But all of these were phone interviews with foreigners. So. Right. Yeah, yes. true. Yeah, they were foreign inter- phone interviews. 
Um, but did they? They also coincided. Um, coincided with the with the concert. yeah with the show as well yeah, yeah. E- exactly so we do the uh, interview and then get to cover the show a, b- a little bit later which right is awesome. so I remember I mean that was at Marin County Fairgrounds yeah the parking for that is insane right um, I live probably uh, mm, just like three mile. minutes yeah. from there by car. Uh, maybe 10, 15 minute walk so I can, yeah. I can hear them. I was able to hear that show and you came and parked at my place yeah. and walked over there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I was working until eight thirty or nine and I was like, why the hell did I not, not take a couple hours off and know, go to that come show on. with you? It is so freaking good. Yeah. You know, and then I missed it again at AT&T park when you were just there. Yeah. Um, and so we've had them on a couple of times. They've always been awesome. We, I mean, we met, got, I got to do meet and greet with them twice with my buddy Jay. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's cool, cool, fun experience. And um, they're a fantastic band. Yeah. The what ne- do you remember about the interview? Oh, uh, I mean, talk, just uh, getting to talk to them. I mean, the the other it was the other blues artists, really, that were more memorable to me mm-hmm. and more enjoyable because, I mean, you're talking to artists that, yeah, you know, have been in the business for years and mm-hmm. have such a storied experience, and uh, and get to you know continue to do this thing and have, you know so getting I mean I could talk to them forever you know just about all uh, anything that happened on the road and mm-hmm. and their experiences they went through it so mm-hmm. um, so that was a lot of fun um, Joe I want to talk to you uh, uh, Why, get up in this no you were yeah, about a show that you you went to uh, and that was. Um, where where were we on the, on the list? It was we were just Frank, Turner. Yeah. Frank Turner. Frank uh, Turner. So oh yeah, I. Uh, what's great about that interview was that I wasn't there. You weren't there, <laughs> and that uh, Steve recorded a video of Frank Turner calling me out for yes. not making it. And he's like, oh. in the video, he's like, Joe, the only reason that we're in San Francisco is to play a fucking show for you, and you're not here, so. And he like turns and walks off the camera and it's like, oh, it, it is to this day, it is the best celebrity burn. Yes. Clearly. I mean, it's probably the only time a celebrity's ever said my name. Uh, celebrity burn ever for me. Um, and it was great. I love that. I cherish that clip. I yeah. love that clip. It's, it's pretty so awesome, right? Yeah. It's so funny. What, what was the date on that? Yeah, we we got to share that clip. Yeah. We have to share that clip. Because I saved it for sure. Was it? It was August uh, 8th was the episode of the, the show. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. What year? Eight, eight, uh, 16. Let's hope the cloud works. Can we stream right. this? Yeah. But so it wasn't on that exact date. It was a little bit before that. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. And that was a great conversation with him. I mean, also, uh, what a great performer. Uh, he opened for Flogging Molly that night, I, I believe. Um, Wait, who? Frank Turner. Or I think he did. Yeah. Did he? Is I think that he did. the time yeah. that you but and I went to the show I, and we had backseat... Backstage passes. I don't think I don't know if you did. You go to that one, or did you have to miss that one? I don't. I don't remember. Um, I have never missed a Floggy Molly show. Never. No. Never. No. We used to go to the Fox. I all have the never missed a Floggy Molly show. I might have missed the interview, but yeah. <laughs> never. I did not miss yeah. the show. Yeah, we do. I mean, when they used to play at the Fox all the time, that was really memorable and fun mm. to to go. And it was always what the same. Did the show post twenty sixteen. But uh, what what date? August eighth. Interesting. So was, so the interview. The interview was, or the show was six 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 seventeen. Okay, it wasn't eight eight sixteen. Six seventeen was when you invited me, I think. Wait, who are we talking about? Frank Turner. Frank Turner. You were like Frank Turner Warfield on Monday, January 29th. 
I think of this year, you were like Frank Turner Warfield, six seventeen. Yeah, we we went and saw him later at the at the Warfield. This was at the Fox Theater. Uh, yeah, and so uh, heck, oh here it is. It's right. Oh no, that's a picture. Um, might be able to uh, to pull it up, but um, yeah, here you go. Here's what you're looking for. This is how this is how you use a search on a phone, Joe. Okay. You ready? Wilson, I hear you're not coming to the fucking show. What the fuck is up with that, man? That's the only reason he came to America was to play a show for you, and now you're not fucking here. Walk off. Dude, yeah. the only reason they came to America. <laughs> you said, like, San Francisco or whatever. Yeah. America, yeah. dude. Yeah. So next, so next time that uh, Frank Turner came through, we had we were obligated to see him. We went, we Royal went, we went. It was fun at the Warfield. Yeah, yeah that, was a, that was a fun show. And, that, and he was headlining that one, so that was, that was really cool. Um, and, uh, and so, um, later that year we went to bridge school benefit, um, and you know, included, last. yes, the very last, uh, bridge school benefit. That was fantastic. Lucky we got in there. Cause I've never been to a bridge school, but you have before. Right? I went in, uh, 2010. Yeah. Yeah. I went Do you remember the lineup? Uh, I remember I saw Frank. No, not Turner. Frank, not Frank Turner. Um, so not I saw Arcade Fire and I saw... Who's the guy with the really deep voice? I think it's Frank, but I can't remember his last name. We'll call him Frank. No, 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 no. I can look this up. Yeah, deep voice. It's Frank. Neil or, Young was there. Yeah. Neil Young. Yeah, good that's a good Paul. Show. Good Paul. <laughs> um, I hope he'd come to his uh, own see, show. 2010 Bridge. It was Darth Vader. Yeah, his voice was ridiculous. <laughs> Darth Vader doing covers, t- oh, taking right. requests. <laughs> I'll do anybody. The guy has got a low right. voice. I got this. Hold on. Okay, here comes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's hold cute. Hold on to that thought. Deep voice. Who are you thinking? Maybe I didn't go in 2010. There's no one with the deep voice playing <laughs> when you went. So anyway, Joe's been trying to find went. shit on his oh, phone oh, for the oh, last oh, hour. Gosh, this is, this is I've just been texting. I know you've been uh, plugged with in wife, with my wife. He's still texting. He's not looking for shit. No, 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 no. no. I'm looking up. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. Oh my uh, gosh, this is horrible. Okay, his wife is pissed. Where the fuck you, are you? You come back to it in ten minutes, okay? So. Uh, so Bridge School. We saw Bridge School. Metallica Bridge played. Bridge School was fun. And um, it's a long ass way away from here. And yeah, I want to say, yeah. I want to clarify that in the in the sense that it's really not that far. It just takes a long time to get yeah. there. And um, Metallica, we saw them do acoustic shit. Holy shit. And they messed up their new single because it wasn't made for it up acoustic. Several but times, but it was part, I mean, that was part of the whole you know, awesome experience to see them there. Yeah. You know, I almost felt like they were doing an audition. You know, it's like, oh, okay, hi, we're Metallica, <laughs> and we're just going to do some acoustic shit now. Tom, Tom Waits. Tom Waits, okay, the, the deep voice. He has a deeper voice. I had Tom to think Waits. about it. I was like, right. uh, I also saw Metallica. Yeah. It's the only time I've ever seen Metallica before wow. a concert. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and it was acoustic, which You was want cool. me to tell you who didn't see Metallica it, in it, concert? Two weeks ago. Who yeah. had... A VIP front row row fucking seat to it? Not you. My goddamn wife. Oh, no. Who didn't invite me, right? Who I hope she's not not listening to this. No, she she got a free ticket worth like a thousand bucks. To go, tickets um, were up to a million dollars. Like, I mean, there were. It was a charity to thing. go see them. Yeah. yeah, and it was it. Um, it was part of Salesforce, our annual thing, right, and it right, was right. Um, outdoors at the uh, Civic Center in San yeah. Francisco. 
But um, and she almost gave me her ticket so I could give them to Steve. Why didn't she give you her ticket? And then she found out that Janet fucking Jackson was going to be there too. You what? So she spent a hundred percent of her time. No. Front and center. No. Front and center. Over Janet Jackson. Front and center, right behind Janet Jackson's fan that was blowing her hair everywhere. And I'm like, no, you didn't that do that. And I've been disturbed ever since. Yeah. <laughs> In therapy for it. I have to go saw, to therapy. I also for saw it. John Mayer. I also saw My Morning Jacket, okay. which this band, this show has had an interview with this. No, band. I've never interviewed. Yeah. No, I thought you had. To, all right, whatever. And then I saw <laughs> Regina Spector, Tegan, and Sarah. There you go. So, and uh, of course Tom Waits, and of course Neil Young. So. Yes, that was good. It was a good show. And that was 2007. That's how wrong I was. Right. Okay. So carrying on here, um, let's see. We had. Carry on my <laughs> wayward song. Right. Uh, we, we had Brendan James on again. That was cool. He was back for Live in the Vineyard. Joe's and, taking a piss. Uh, yeah. Good, good call out. You should go piss on a wall. I mean, apparently that needs to be done. Uh, okay, where do we leave off? I don't know. We're not, we don't need to go through all of them, but we'll go through some of the, the fun ones. Um, it was it was fun to interview. Uh, look at some of these. Just seeing, or really some of the some of the cool ones. Uh, Run River North was a good. I, I was really digging their band and seeing them at Bottle Rock. We um, so that so that was cool. After that, we interviewed Greg Kinn. I was just uh, looking at him too. We, back that was back in 2017. Yep. Um, and. I've said this on the podcast before. He is a fantastic character. So much energy. Okay, number one, as a person. And then his musical ability and his talent, yeah. I think, is largely unrecognized. Yeah. I mean, he has been a part of so many things. Yeah. And when we, when you told me who we were going to interview, I was like, oh, who's, who's that? And then... You told me who he was, and I was researching it. No way. He's done all this stuff. I know. Yeah. Are you serious? How is he not world famous? He did, uh, yeah. You know, he is, he is by, his, by the music and the music he's contributed to, but Greg not, Kin. not the name. Yeah, don't worry. Oh. Classic musician. Right. He did, exactly. he did, who? He did Jeopardy. Uh, was wait, 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 wait. He wrote, he wrote a song? No. Holy shit. No, he was the host of the show. <laughs> he hosted Jeopardy? Yeah. yeah. Who gives a shit? Alex Trebek. <laughs> He's been busting your balls. I'm busting your ball. I'm, I'm, balls I'm feeding busting. you shit, dude. <laughs> no, he... Um, Weird Al, right? Yeah, so Weird Al covered uh, Jeopardy uh, uh, by Greg Kinn. Wait, Weird Al did... Dee, 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 oh, my dee. God. We're <laughs> going down this Jeopardy hole far too deep, fellas. <laughs> Uh, I'm having a hard time moving on, dude. We gotta move on. We gotta move on. I love Jeopardy. I love it. <laughs> Bottle Rock that year um, didn't co- didn't cover it like we had in the past, which was which was fun when we yeah, did some interviews of Bottle Rock, right? Yeah, it was great. Got to hang with the guys in Combrio and do their gem in the van. They were cool. Um, Can I just say how much I suck for not yet ever having gone? Yeah, you're missing Bottle out. Rock. It's it's something you gotta do once, you know. I had tickets, dude. I had yeah. tickets to Bottle Rock. You went to Alaska instead. And then all of a sudden, two weeks before the show, we get this awesome deal on a trip to Alaska. But I'm not realizing that okay, that's the same weekend that Bottle Rock yeah. is happening. I'm like, no. You had to bail. And ever since then, the lineup just hasn't been as, as yeah. good. It so. hasn't been very robust these 
I didn't go. But yeah. last year was because they had Foo Fighters, and this was their first show in two years. Uh, in uh, hadn't played in the United States in, in a couple of years, and it was at Bottle Rock. There were no other shows listed in the U.S. Yeah, um, that's a good. It, it was good enough. It was definitely pretty great. I think it was pretty great. Um, I'm a big <laughs> fan of Dave Roll. Uh, post Nirvana, I wasn't. I'm sorry, I wasn't a big Nirvana fan. Uh, you know, love I grunge. This, I had this argument with somebody recently, and I agree with you. Yeah, and I loved Nirvana when I was a kid. Right. As an adult, I'm like, yeah, They're just not that good. And everybody's uh-huh. like, oh, definitive grunge '90s, and it's right. like Pearl Jam was better. Yes, thank Stone you. Temple Pilots was thank better. Thank you. And I'm like, thank you. Just weren't that good. I know it it's was really bad. weird. It was a hard time for me in college because I had so many friends that loved Soundgarden and Alice in Chains. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I love Eddie Vedder. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> also, I would take Pearl Jam overall. Yeah. I've had this argument so many times. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Move yeah. <laughs> so, so we played the Foo Fighters whole roll. show uh, on the podcast, actually, nice. uh, which is uh, <laughs> the way to do it, right? Uh, and then uh, let's see who we got. Um, after that, Flogging Molly uh, got to interview them. Um, around their show, they played at Slims. Uh, that was one of the best experiences. Seeing them there again because I'd seen them there once or twice before years ago, but mm-hmm. getting to see them at, at Slims again was uh, Slims. I mean, for those of you that have never been to Slims, it is just a nice, small, intimate venue. And if you can see one of the bigger names there, go the it, best. take whatever it's call still it my favorite sick yes. whatever you got to do forever. go forever my <laughs> be part of it yeah uh okay what else do we cover um we covered uh john lee hooker jr i interviewed him at a noodle place uh john lee hooker's son uh here in napa <laughs> panda <laughs> express while he was eating noodles it was panda express uh, no uh it wasn't panda but it was that was something interesting yeah <laughs> and then kimbra so what was the interview like like okay uh, what did you order <laughs> oh i i don't know <laughs> it was 10 minutes it was, it was there was not a lot of content there dude it was like okay uh i guess we're doing this <laughs> so i didn't stay for the show later right. or anything like that no uh, but uh interesting nonetheless so uh we interviewed kimbra we did kimbra what a darling that was cool she was she was pretty cool and, and that was a fun show kimbra is great Yes, I don't remember if I saw it, if I said this, you know, during that episode back then. But she um, is not just talented, but what a great person in general. Right. Yeah, and uh, and so that was cool, and that was my first concert uh, with my girlfriend Tracy. That's true. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, right. She came with us. I was in the city. Yes. Um, uh, at the Regency, and yeah. we had yeah. steak or something before that. Did we? Oh yeah, we had we had we went to that we went to place that like across the famous street. place that yeah. that's been there for a Johnny's? thousand years. The Johnny's or something on Van Ness. No. I don't even remember. I yeah, remember. but I, but that was that was fun just hanging and no, while, cool. while the Olympics were going on too. Uh, but the Olympics were going on. My my uh, my friend uh, Tony called me yeah, and had some sort of like emotional breakdown or with our relationship or yeah. something because he was butthurt that he wasn't invited to go see Kimbra. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You go to concerts every go, day and you never invite me to any of them. Yeah. And you're butthurt that I'm not, you know, what? Yeah, and then know. he made me his bitch. And that's sort of what my whole dinner experience was like. It was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> 
we, weird. Yeah. Very <laughs> weird. Mm-hmm. We interviewed uh, we interviewed Matt Costa twice on this program. Um, and the first one, uh, which actually we didn't talk about before, but that one was really memorable for me because it was within two weeks after I separated from my wife. And, uh, and he... Uh, he was willing to play a song for the podcast. He did both times we had him on, which is so cool. Uh, and the first one, I don't have any video of it or anything, but uh, it was a, a version of, I asked him to play Good Times, which was an older song that he had done and has a lot of bells and whistles in it in the recorded version, but the words just were hitting so home with what I was going through at that time. Mm. And afterwards, I told him what it meant to me, and he wow. was just like so moved by nice. by that, you know, sort of thing. Yeah, but the, totally resonated. The recording was so much better than the uh, on the album, even yeah. the recording he did for Concert Pipeline. Wow. So, totally great to uh, in debt to that guy. Fantastic. Uh, did covered uh, Yountville Live and interviewed your mom's namesake, sir. I remember that. Yeah, biggest interview ever. Right. <laughs> 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 with Rita Wilson, uh, and chatted with her for like four minutes, but, uh, but it was, it was four glorious I, minutes. I just, I just talked to her the whole time about, you know, I just said, Wilson, I just kept, you know, going off with her last name, you know, uh, the, the volleyball from Castaway, oh, the, which is, which is also right. her, her last name. Right? Yeah, the company that makes sport equipment. Yes. So, no, I didn't do that. But yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, I don't remember you saying anything about, please tell me this didn't happen. No, no. Uh, she was fun. She was fun to talk to, though. Um, and then uh, we did a podcast. Did you, were you on on this one, Joe? Uh, get in here. Get in here. Get in here. Get in here. Can you say that <laughs> Joe's texting his wife. Yeah. Okay. I know, right? <laughs> Come on, get in this podcast. Um, so, were you on the yeah, one? Invite her over. I know, right? Uh, have him come over. Um, wait, wait, wait. Talking about Wilson's. Damn it, Stephen. I was fucking writing a text. Oh, you poor thing. You uh, suck. So, <laughs> didn't you do Hart too? One of the members of Hart? No, Emer- no. That's Emerson Hart, and uh, he was no, from Tonic. You no, did. I did not interview Hart. You interviewed one of the people no. from Hart. You did. I'm serious. I would know if I did. It didn't happen. No, but... I'm 100% sure. Okay, you're wrong. So... I'm going to go through this whole spreadsheet and look for who it was. Okay, it wasn't. So, but what I was going to say, the the show, the Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness show with Alan Stone, Zach Clark, and Bob Oxblood. Mm, yeah, that was a fun show. I liked Babe Ruth. That was my favorite part of this show. Uh-huh. Yeah, where Alan Stone's hair was flying. And, uh, no, Babe no, no. He, he, Alan Stone was dressed up as Babe Ruth, and he came in a dream uh, sequence. Uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and, uh, You're the, like hair flying. No, no, no. I was remembering they did the fan thing. like basically yeah. Babe Ruth, right? Yeah, no, I don't know what I was going for, but I was remembering Alan Stone doing it. And, yeah. So I got to see it twice, though, in uh, San Francisco and Sacramento, yeah. and it was a, yeah, a great tour. Shows. Yeah. What did you like most about that show? Um... He opened with Love in Buildings um, on his piano with just a spotlight on him, which was fucking cool. Yeah, his little Casio keyboard. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that, was, that was probably my favorite part. Yeah, it was pretty intimate, and it just set the tone for what was coming. And yeah. he, he had the whole Mr. Rogers vibe to it, too, and, you know, inviting people great. into his home, uh, which was a really cool... Uh, Essence, we interviewed her twice. Uh, that was uh, my longest interview that, uh, that lasted a while it was like an hour and 15 minutes and uh, and it but it was such an impactful uh conversation about uh about bernie and the believers uh and bernie 
uh, Dalton, who uh, had uh, Lou, who has Lou Gehrig's disease, and um, and it's just such a sad story, you know, but such it's so impactful about her being his voice for his music. So, um, so that was really cool, and you know, and that's uh, that kind of brings us up to current right now. So, guys, guys, are we current? I think we're, right. we're current. Joe's no, in this. Wait, we're not yeah. current. You are not gonna <laughs> mention Juliet Lewis. She, I mean, she was never on the podcast. That's that's. It doesn't that's, matter. We that's Steve's her. early puberty boner right there. <laughs> Juliet Lewis. Steve fucking loved Juliet Lewis. Tell me how many posters of her did, <laughs> did Steve have? There are no on posters. Old walls. Uh, no, that was Gwen. <laughs> yeah, Gwen Stefani had Gwen all the Stephanie, posters, oh but, my God. <laughs> but he was still like, "Oh my God, Juliet Lewis! Funny. I have her number. It's <laughs> <laughs> gonna happen." <laughs> right. I think Virgin Steve was like, "I'm gonna lose my virginity to Juliet Lewis. It's I gonna mean, be the best thing ever." I mean, it could have happened. <laughs> no, it couldn't have happened. <laughs> no, she was fun. That concert was great. Yes, that wasn't too long ago. That's why I'm bringing it up. Okay. And um, it was in Berkeley. And uh, I, I don't know her as an as a as a musician, uh, as a singer. I just know her from film. And um, and you know, I was a big fan. She puts on a good live performance. Right. She does. But uh, yeah, and, it was, and I knew her for a bit. And. Um, yeah. Friends. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, so that was cool. All right. Guys, it's time for the pivotal time which we talked about earlier in the show. It's time to play some rounds of money. And that's what it's called. It's called money. Money. Yeah. Is, Is there Steve, a theme? Uh, Steve Yeah, yeah. Steve will break down the rules for you. But I think the theme song I think you gotta play the clip. Is it like money, 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 yes. money. That's what's gonna be played, yeah. Money. money. Money, 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 which is also the theme song for The Apprentice. It is, yes, it was. Yes. Well, The Apprentice isn't around anymore, oh. but yeah, oh. <laughs> it. It's dirty. Political yeah. views you, aside, you, you definitely knew that, by the way, in a good way. I never fucking knew that. I've uh, never seen a single episode. Not one. Not a single fucking. Oh one. my god. Zero. You not. turn on The Apprentice. You press play. Money, money, money. Oh, his hair blowing in the wind. Uh, his hair, like, hair. why is it it's not wig. coming off his I've head? I've never fucking seen that show. I've never watched that show. Okay. Take your uh, I need a pen to, to, to track your guys' scores. So I am proud of you that you've never seen one of those. I, I was victim to a couple of the shows. I actually Steve, liked it for Steve a short period. would be like, hey, have you ever seen Lost? And I'd be like, no, no. I don't fucking watch TV. Uh-huh. And he'd be like, man, Lost is really good this week. And I'd be like... I've never seen it. Uh-huh. You and need to watch ten Lost. Years later, you, you did need to watch ten Lost for what's her face, which oh yeah, uh, Freckles, whatever. The, yeah. I don't know who the hell she is, but she plays Angelina Lily. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. And the Jack only reason I know her is because she played an elf in uh, the trilogy of the Hobbit. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was yeah, hot yeah, yeah, as yeah. fucking hell. Yeah. 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 Ah, the the trilogy of the Hobbit, though, man. <laughs> I just good. watched Fellowship of the Ring. Like within the last two weeks, it's a fucking masterpiece. I re I watched the Hobbit movies in theaters. I have yet to rewatch them because I can't fucking do it. Yeah. I know they're bad. I watched them in the theaters and I was like, these are terrible. These are really bad. 
I don't. I can't do it. I can't go back. In I'll terms of back. the directing or the screenplay or what? They were ridiculous. The pacing uh-huh. was shit. The storytelling was shit. much slower. They embellished. Yeah. yeah the pa- mm-hmm. I mean, the pacing of an action mm-hmm. fantasy film should be action oriented and mm-hmm. fun, and they were all slow as fuck. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I remember watching them fall, and like I was like, "Oh, physics don't work that way." And I but it doesn't matter. The thing. elf was fucking hot. All right, that's all that matters. That, all right. Okay. <laughs> Watch him again just for her. There you go. I can't dispute that. <laughs> just look at pictures. Okay, let's get into money. Money, 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 money. Money. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much so the rules, Jens. The rules, Jens. Yes, are uh, I should, do not show you the paper, but uh, yeah, what the hell, Steve? I know. Wait, but what are the rules? Can we like so, Google this shit? Joe, explain the rules. You guess how much somebody is worth. Yes, mm. that's all it is. Okay, so like net worth. And these are these are all artists who have been on the podcast. Oh, nice. Okay, good pull. Kyle Gass being one of them. Kyle, Kyle Gass being one of them. Kyle Gass being one of them. So we'll get to Kyle Gass. He's n- number two. We're going to start out early. So li- lightning round between can, you two. Can we start with number two? No. <laughs> okay, yes. We can start with Kyle Gass. Sure. Kyle Gass, what's your prediction in Jens? Okay, remind me who he is. He's the, the other guy in Tenacious D. Oh, other guys in Tenacious D. Oh, right, right, right. oh, my gosh. Mm, 25 million. No, you have to actually have a guess. That's a guess. Okay, because we're gonna c- uh, calculate all this together and see how how much you are. Okay, Yen says twenty five million. <laughs> okay, Joe, you're at one point five million. You're holding strong. Yeah. Okay. The uh, correct answer is three million. What? It's Tenacious oh, D. He's yeah. doubled his value in the since last- being on Concert Pipeline. Whoa! You shot him through the roof. Like, you mean like right after the episode? <laughs> I mean, it dropped, and then he was like. Brrr. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Go back, go back to that episode and see if he was worth 1.5 because I fucking remember. I don't think, did we play in that episode or I don't know if we played we in that one or a different one. Um, from Santa Cruz, yeah. Okay, maybe we'll check that out. It but might have been the actual, the conception of that. <laughs> it might have been. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Steve Harwell, lead singer of Smash Mouth. Well, somebody once told him. Uh-huh. That's the only Smash Mouth song you know. So <laughs> you're a believer, Joe. Come on. They cover the monkeys. They cover. I, they, I, I fucking know that song, you asshole. Your, your son's seen it. No, he doesn't. Hasn't watched Shrek. So. No, and he never will. Yeah. Don't expose him to that kind of stuff. No, fuck no. no I'm not going to put that garbage in his head. I mean, if you want to ruin a kid's life, you know, yeah. <laughs> he watches Shrek and he turns to me. He's like, Dad, why? <laughs> life is so unfair. How much for Steve Harwell? Uh, oh, that's a good question. Five. What's your guess, Jens? Six. You're right. Five million. No way. You are cheating. Boom! I wouldn't cheat. I Dude, wouldn't cheat. You I don't cheat. Somehow, I didn't. like, he put it down, but I didn't want. I didn't even look at. No, it. he was in his phone. He's he oh, wasn't oh, looking. He was. That's what he's yeah. been doing on his phone for the since we started the episode. All of it, right? Over here, fucking <laughs> strutting around, all fucking cocky and shit. Right. Look at me go. Yes. Okay, uh, Jack Antonoff of the band Bleachers and guitars for the band I can Fun. See our columns. That's okay. all I can say. Okay, I have a question. 
Are these ranked in the order? Of no, no, they aren't. They're they're kind of in the order of the interview, actually. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It would be chronological see, because he'd be referencing right. this and then doing yes, that. That's exactly what happened. It's like you were there. Yeah. Oh, just kidding. You weren't. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't. Uh, Jack Antonoff is not worth a lot of money. Okay. I'm yeah. Lead, I mean, guitarists are fun. Has his own band. Nobody cares about. They tried to pump bleachers up, but he was a bad interview on Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> it was pretty bad. <laughs> but he made it on Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. He did. And Jimmy Kimmel. As, on on hey. the couch, too. Yeah, he was like, tell me something about yourself. And Jack was like, yeah, weird. <laughs> uh, that's all I have to say. <laughs> In fact, he was like, I'm weird. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's the one thing he came up with. Yeah, I was like, uh, nothing else. Um what do you think? I'm thinking million. I think he's worth a little more than that, but not much. I'm going to go with $4 million. It is $4 million. No oh, way, dude. Oh, shit. Conspiracy. That's crazy. I'm over here doing karate. Total <laughs> <laughs> conspiracy. It's rigged. All right, next up, Eddie Money. Oh my God! Five hundred thousand dollars, Bob. Money at least. <laughs> he ain't worth shit. Okay. Predictions. Okay, so you're 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 taking today's value of Eddie Money, not it's, like yes, eighties eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no not any money, not ranked for inflation. Like Eddie, <laughs> We're talking no, about now, not yeah. when he had money, not when he had so it's like money, money. Eddie, no more money. Yeah. no inflation on this money. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Eddie, no more money. I was I was kidding. Five hundred grand. He's worth more than that. But I'm gonna say I'm not gonna say more than like six mil. That's okay. What, what are you saying, Jens? Money? <laughs> I'm thinking he's like ten. You think he's ten? I think he's at least seven and a half or higher. Wow. Is that your number? Seven and a half? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's twelve. Yeah, I was gonna. Say, I, I think I thought I knew it was more. I was like, Ugh. I was gonna I say I fifty thousand, fifty millions. Okay, we we got ten. Maybe adjusted for inflation, eighty dollars. But there I think he was probably like. Yeah. Oh, I'm worth less. Oh, I have no money. Pretty much. Yeah. I thought you were like, because, oh my God, I started so much Coke, I got no more money. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I think that's exactly <laughs> what I was saying. You both just did that. And he had no money. Uh, all right, I was off. Pretty, pretty huge margin there. It's okay. okay. You have time to redemption. Well, I fucking nailed yeah. two out of you fucking did. four, so. You got some breathing room. You're like, you're getting cocky a little bit. You know? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay, Chris Caraba of Dashboard Confessional, Further Seems Forever, and Twin Forks. Oh, God. I really don't know. He's he's mostly I mean, he's he's a, he is one of the biggest names in indie music ever, but he never and he broke mainstream with um his re-recording of Hands Down. Mm-hmm. And it made some money, and then he had uh, Vindicated, which was another... Star in the Spider-Man. Right. So it was just semi-big because it was featured... You remember when remember when Andrew McMahon was going to be featured in a soundtrack for a Spider-Man movie? Oof. I don't know if I did. You I don't that? remember that? I don't know about that. What? what? How did you not know about that? I don't that? know. Hit me. I thought it was just the Sicilian Satellite, and that was it. There was a, he teased that he was going to be the main artist featured in Spider-Man 3 no shit. and ended up not being. Mm. And I was like, what happened to that deal? Yeah. Mm. So, um, but but um, Chris Caraba, I think, is worth... I mean, he's big in the indie, but he's not like big outside of that. Jens, what do you think? 
Yeah, that's how I feel. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, need some numbers. I feel like I'm going to be way off, but I'm just going to say 2-5. Okay, he's worth more than that. I know. I'm sure of that. Because if Kyle Gass is, <laughs> is worth $3 million, Chris Carrabba is worth 10 I'm going to say. Okay, the number is 16. Oh, shit. I was getting some redemption. Damn, catching back up for- oh Wait a minute. He's worth more than Eddie Money? He's worth, yeah, he's more worth than any money. More than any money. Yeah. 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 Like, was like, oh, I don't want the money. Just give me the Coke. Yeah. Okay, next up, Creed Bratton of The Office. Oh, he's not worth a lot. I know that. <laughs> not at all. Mm-hmm. He, he, I, he, I, my guess, and I'm just throwing this out there, he maybe made $50,000 an episode for The Office. Maybe. Yeah. His part was always very minimal. Right. I mean, he had like a line. If he even fucking had a line, most but it, episodes he's just doing something ridiculous. Like, a lot of times his episode, his line was the best though. He's actually not featured in every episode. Yeah. He's he's not. What was his role? Creed Bratton was a character that did quality assurance inside the office. So he was an older guy who said kooky shit. Whenever they interviewed him, he said something yeah. ridiculous. Mm. Um, there's like a scene where Pam is pregnant and Dwight is eating. In the office, and she's like, I can't smell anyone's foods or perfume. It makes me want to throw up. So Dwight goes to peel an egg at his desk, and he's right next to, to Pam. And Pam, this is like season six, and Pam throws up into a trash can, making <laughs> eye contact with Dwight, and then everyone else in the office throws up. Andy throws up, and a bunch of other characters throw up. And Creed Bratton is sitting in the background eating ramen noodles with chopsticks <laughs> while everyone's throwing up around him. It's pretty fucking great. Um, it's pretty fucking great. Uh, he has no Brad. reaction to this. Oh, he doesn't give a shit. Um, Creed Branton is worth. I'm going to go with three mil. I'm going to say he's on par with Kyle Gass. Okay. What, what do you say, Jens? I'm going to say just over that. Okay. I need a number. 3.1. Okay. <laughs> 3.1, Bob. It is 3 million. What the fuck? No. That's, we played money before. We played money so many times. I've never hit three. I've never hit three. Dude, these are the same questions you guys asked each other before. No, 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 no. no. I remember the no. Kyle Gass one, but we haven't. I no, all the others, I don't think we fit. No. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, pretty good work here. I'm feeling, I'm feeling cosmic energy right now. Good. <laughs> we got, we got uh, four more. Fine um, intervention. Uh, and uh, Oscar. Was like, Joe needs to win this game. <laughs> just, just like Kyle Gass doubled his net worth after Concert Pipeline, Gary Oldman got an Oscar after being on Concert Pipeline. Uh, uh, so, what is. Not a coincidence. No, no, I mean, it's clear. a trend. Yeah. What is uh, Gary Olds, Oldman's net worth? What is he worth? The Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Uh, I fell asleep during that film. You don't like that movie? No. I never saw it. I fucking like that movie. I heard the original was fantastic. I dug it. I like the remake. I I, I liked it. I I love him, but I just was not into that film. Um, What do you think is Gary Oldman's best role? That is really hard to answer because he is such a diverse actor. You know, I want to say Beethoven, but I also want to say... Fifth Element. Yes. Right? Fifth Element is easily his best. Right. Nice. Right? Zorg is so fucking He's great. And that so would have been my epic. answer. That yeah. would have been my answer for sure. It's fucking awesome. Do you know who Zorg is? No. Oh, you got to watch this shit. A real killer would have asked what the red button on the side of the gun does, Steven. Okay. That's another good impression for you there. We'll keep that one. <laughs> dude, he's not great, but his outfits are fucking fantastic, No, fucking amazing. Dude. He's amazing. He's it's like, how did like, they come up with this shit? shield on the side of his head with, like, right. the half-buzz cut. 
It's, it's amazing. How the fuck do you not know Fifth Element? I, I mean, I've seen it. I think, again, this is another one of those that I saw back Fifth in the Fifth Element? Yeah. Is a top 10 movie of mine, Stephen okay. Jones. I, definitely. I, I put it as, it's one of the my favorite sci-fi films of all. Well, we've never watched it together, apparently, so. Dude, dude, I kick back and I look at the top top 10 movies of all time for me, and it's like, okay, do I watch Fifth Element or should it be Pulp Fiction, you know? For me? It's Fifth Element. Yeah, but I do love Pulp Fiction, which is an excellent film. Also, I think in a top ten, um, Gary Oldman's net worth. Yes. What is his net worth? Net worth. Thirty million dollars. Okay, We're talking big money now. Big money. Uh, so it's more than that. Okay, so what's your what's your number? <laughs> I need numbers. I'm writing down numbers. Thirty-one or higher. Yeah. Thirty point one. Thirty. Thirty. Thirty point one or higher. You're going to say 31? Yeah. We're not doing points. I think it's higher than that, but I'll, I'll, that's, that's what I'm going to say. Okay. Gary Oldman is worth $50 million. Yeah. I was going to yeah, say $50 yeah, million, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, 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 I was afraid that it would, that would way overshoot it. I knew it was it. worth a fucking lot, but I was like, Ugh. You know what? I actually was going to say the same thing Joe said. You know, 30, really? I feel like every time Joe says something, that's the right number. <laughs> well, you know, for Gary Oldman, I, I felt like many, it was higher. Uh, that's crazy yeah. that I've, with no prior knowledge, I've guessed that. like those. three times. It's fucking crazy. It's crazy. Okay. We got three more. I love Gary Oldman. And then we'll total up. Total I think winning right now, though. That last one was a $20 million gap. But, I mean, it was only one different million differential between uh, yeah, the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, 19, he was $19 million. Oh, okay. wait. You didn't say anything about that. So the closer you yes. get to the actual Yeah, you want to get as close to the number yeah, as yeah, possible. Yeah. So Okay. Joe, restart. Joe's going to do the math. <laughs> math and again. <laughs> Joe's going to do the math and get the differential afterwards. Kyle Gassworth. Damn. I don't know. Yes. Next up. Uh, didn't interview him directly, but his band, uh, Mick Jones, a foreigner. Ooh. Oh, God. Foreigner was big. Come on, it's urgent. Uh, the, uh, nicely done. It cold as ice. Well, you sacrifice <laughs> my love of this game. <laughs> uh, okay, so they had... Uh, God, they sold like 10 million records uh, in the 80s. Which is fucking saying something. I think there were only like 11 million people in the United States. <laughs> you know, the population. Everybody had it, yeah. I, I, I do think it was about 200 million in the 80s, so uh, just over. So, um, I mean, it's pretty significant. Um, he's worth mills. Yes. Yes, he is. And he's worth tens of mills. I can't, I can't guess how many, though. What do you think? I'm thinking he's worth not quite as much as Gary. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's uh, significantly he's fucking old. <laughs> he's significantly yeah. less than that. Yeah. The only member of Foreigner to be consistent throughout, by the way. So. Yeah, yeah. He's right. been there the whole time. The lineup has changed countless yeah. fucking times at this point. Which I didn't know when I started inter- before I started interviewing them. Yeah, you're you know, like, hey, you're all old dudes. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, no, I've been in the band for like four years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I have no clue. I'm going to say 10 mil. Okay. He's, What's your? He's he's worth more than that. I think. I think he's worth twenty five million dollars. Okay. Yen's got his first nail. Oh, <laughs> yeah! It's a game. I broke the mic. I was so excited. I punched it. Nicely done. Yeah. yeah. Woo! I love it. Catching up with you, Joe. Better yeah, watch out. That's but that's fucking impressive because I I think in all the times we played money, I don't think we ever nailed it. And now it's happened over and over again. It's fucking ridiculous. Well, you cued me in with the whole Coke thing. It's like he would have been worth more, but. 
Oh my God, he would have been, been worth twenty five. He's, he's been blowing it. Got to, you got to account for the coke. Come on. <laughs> cut that. Cut that. Don't say that about that guy. We just fucking interviewed him. It's <laughs> uh, awesome. All right, nicely done. Nicely done. Yes. All right. I feel trashed. I feel. I feel like I'm out of it. So two more to redeem yourself. We'll see. Yeah, that gap is. We'll see. You got two more. Existing gap. Two more. Okay. Next up, Rita Wilson. <laughs> uh, she's married to Tom Hanks. Do we count Tom Hanks' ass? We're going by celebritynetworth.com. What they say her net worth is. Specifically her net worth. Yes. Not including his. I, I would assume this number does. Yes. Worth like a quarter of this a is, billion dollars. This is right. pre-her their divorce. I assume this does not include they his. Divorced? No, no, no. I'm just yeah, saying yeah, if her getting her. Ha- I was like her getting her half, so... Right, right, if she you know, got... Yeah, yeah, if she got her half. No, this is not... I'm pretty sure this does not include his. So this is based on her musical talent. I mean, I would assume there's other factors. She's an actress as well, and she's done other stuff, so... I have no <laughs> clue. You're going to have to take a guess. That's so... I'm, I, I know what she looks like, yeah. but I couldn't picture her in anything. What has she been in? I don't know. Tom Hanks. <laughs> no, Tom Hanks has been in her, you mean. I know, it's just, it's just lined up. You tried, you tried. You were like, wait a minute, they do that? Okay, what has she sung? <laughs> I'm sure she's been in him. Gotta move on. Uh, just because uh, you're into that shit doesn't mean Tom Hanks I have says. nothing to base this on. Yeah, neither do I. I mean, this is truly a shot in the dark. Yeah. We think, Jens. <laughs> It's either going to be way too high or way yeah, too low. You got to throw out a guess. Let's go. Keep this pod moving. Um, ten mil. Okay, you're putting it out for ten, right and you are. I mean, I was going to say eight mil, so I like it. We're both on par. Going for eight. Yeah. Reed Wilson is worth twenty million dollars. Oh, oh bullshit! <laughs> I was going to say all, fifteen. That's all glommed off of fucking Tom. <laughs> it's her checking, <laughs> her like, allowance. She's like, Tom, what do I get this week? And he's like, another mill. <laughs> I'm sure she's talented, but I'm also sure like Tom's fifty no Tom million Hanks. friends are all going to these events. But there's no way that includes his portion, you know? I mean, because yeah, he's no, Tom Hanks is worth like a quarter of a bill for right. sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, let's he's call that a lightning a... round. I think we lightning round that shit. Yeah. I'm going to say quarter bill for Tom Hanks. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. yeah easily. Uh, easily. Is that what you're agree- I mean, are you just saying it's 250 or what's your guess? Oh, wait, so, a quarter? No, I'm thinking yeah. somewhere between a quarter and a half. Okay. You're going to say like what? 350. Oh, shit. That was the other number I was going to throw out. 250 or 350. I'm going to go with 250. Tom Hanks net worth is. Tom Hanks net worth is 350. Yeah! Drop that fucking mic! That's two! We are not making this shit up! We both had zingers and dingers. I mean, nail on the head! You gotta be fucking kidding me. Or 350, I'm sorry. That's fucking amazing. Oh my god. That is good work, sir. That would have been my other guess. I was like, 250? I was like, eh. I meant a quarter of a bill is like his minimum number. And then I was like, 350 is what I would have said. Truly, my instinct said that, but I'd already thrown out the quarter bill. Well, you know what? 
if Tom were to grace us with his presence, <laughs> his network <laughs> worth would fucking double. Half yeah. a bill. Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's coming soon. Right. So, yeah. Next, next guest. Tom Hanks <laughs> like, I'm starting a musical career. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, play your ukulele, man. Woo! We're, so we're not going to count that one, though. That You do get mad props for that. It was the lightning round. Yes, it doesn't, yes. I mean, it Wait, it doesn't count. fucking count? Fuck I have no way of winning. Count it. It's 100 off. <laughs> 100 million off. No. Okay, and last one. Andrew McMahon. Oh, oh my God. Oh, that one's tough. Andrew is not worth a lot. He's worth mills, but not tons of mills. We did this one actually on the pod back I in the day. I think you and I argued about it because I was like, he's worth mills. And you were like, he is not worth millions. <laughs> and then you were, you were wrong. I was wrong. I'm going to go with 8 million. I'm going to say a little bit higher. I'll say 10. Okay, Andrew McMahon is worth $7 million. Ooh. I think it was $8 million when we did it a few years ago, though. I had to know. I remember it being $8 million when we did it. I remember being six. Okay. So, so now we're going to take a break and play a couple seconds of Greg Kinn's Jeopardy music. Yeah. Uh, to I ta- lost on Jeopardy. <laughs> to tally the votes. I mean, the totals. So we'll come right back with the totals. We've got our totals in, and Joe was off. Uh, all 10 answers uh, combined, uh, you, you were off by $61.5 million. It was. Yens. Plus a hundred. So I know, I, yeah. I, I was off because the lightning round we, toasted me. Because <laughs> Yens nailed that shit. Woo! Nailed can't, it. Can't we're, count that, though. We're not we're counting not it. Count. We're not oh, counting it. Oh, come on. I don't know why. It was a lightning it's, round. Lightning round. There's like... Yeah. <laughs> Tom Hanks was not on the podcast in any form other than his wife. But, yeah, but we did Bill Gates, and he wasn't on the podcast either. That was like... Whatever. Anyway. He wasn't on the lightning round either. No. Uh, and so... And Yens, you were off by $78 million and change. Not bad, not bad. I edged you out, yes. barely. Yes. You know, the differentiating factor was Gary Oldman. Yes. I think Gary Oldman was the one where you were like, I should have done more. But you nailed the 350 for fucking Tommy. I have uh, no idea how I nailed that. I mean, that was just a total dude, shot in the dark. Can you believe that between the two of us, we had five exact guesses for net worth, pulling numbers completely out of our buttholes? Yeah, <laughs> I, no I know. I was like, I don't know shit about You that. had a better idea than I did. I mean, I was clueless. I played this game, yes. Yeah. I, am a, I am the defending champion, <laughs> if you will. We'll circumvent in 100 episodes. Keep the belt. I'm keeping <laughs> the belt. It's staying on me. Yeah, yeah. On for episode 300? Joe, what's a commitment? We'll see. (laughs) We'll see. I'm just going to say from now on, I'm writing down everybody that we are interviewing, and I'm going to see what their net worth is. Like the day before we do episode 300. For 300, we're going to have to pull names out of a hat. (laughs) No, I don't know. We good. We good. Oh, my God. Okay, wait a minute. When was episode 100? Episode 100 was on... uh, Wait, where's this? Here we go. Episode 100 aired April 12th, 2016. So, so we're like Two and a half years 2020. Yeah. 2021. We'll circle back and 300. <laughs> we have another 100 episodes of Concert Pipeline. We'll right. circle back. And I mean, I just, you know, as we wind out here, I want to say, I mean, it's been so much fun and so incredible. And I've, you know, listen to other podcasts that have had, you know, like 1,100 episodes and that sort of thing, but they have advertisers and funding and that's what they do, that, you know. And this has all been, you know, a hobby and something fun that I get to do. It's fucking you know. homegrown. Yeah, yeah. It exactly. is organic. And uh, something fun for us to get to do together. And so I, I, you know, first off, want to thank each of you for 
putting up with me for 100 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, luckily you let us both off the hook as needed. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's a hobby, it's, not an obligation. Like We're not getting paid. <laughs> we had advertisers that'd be like, oh, fuck, I have to. Otherwise, Steve won't give me my $25 check from Casper. <laughs> <laughs> it was really, you know, it was born out of a need for me to get back to concerts again. Because yeah. I, you know, there was a period of my time, life where you know, I was only going to two or three a year. Which, yeah, you were dad. You were full-time dad yeah. at that point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, it was something that was missing. And uh, I was totally on board to do it myself. But the fact that you guys have joined me in this venture, I mean, made it so much more enjoyable and fun. Yeah. And, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me. And what, what was it like for you, you know, not being able to go to... <laughs> To, to so many concerts. I mean, were you uh, getting the painful. shakes or, yeah. you know, I mean, <laughs> with, withdrawal symptoms? Rocking back and forth and hugging his legs. I know. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but you see all these great shows come through and you're like, yep, can't go to that. Nope. Wife doesn't like concerts. Uh, okay. So, uh, yep. No, uh, don't have money for that. Okay. Not hey, happening. Wife. wife spent it all. Uh. Yeah, you're like, ex-wife has no say in whether or not I go to a concert. <laughs> oh, no, exactly. <laughs> How could anybody not like going to a concert? No. I mean, what an experience. <laughs> Her knees hurt. <laughs> but the, the, really one of the tipping points was when she uh, prevented me from seeing Andrew playing everything in transit in what? its entirety. Dude, on, that's grounds for divorce. Right on my there. daughter's fourth birthday, you know, and... Yeah, that the was, divorce came a year later. <laughs> yeah, less than a year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and when I bring the daughter, let's go. Yeah, she was fine. She was like, uh, she's not oh, having fun. On, we, we don't need. To, we don't need to get into that. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. I tell you. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, thank you to you both. Um, I want to thank uh, a couple of other people and, and artists who have kind of consistently been, you know, on the podcast for, you know, again, foreigner, but that wouldn't have been possible without John Lappin, who uh, has provided a number of interviews, uh, not only with foreigner, but other great musicians, which were some of my favorites. I mean, getting to talk to these legends, like we talked about before that have been just been around forever and hear their stories is what, what I enjoy most about this. Um, also, Corinne Khan has given a bunch of interviews, including um, setting me up with Ben Funk Torres, who's on the program uh, today. And so thank you to her. She's really awesome. Um, thank you to Ben Funk Torres for being on the fucking podcast. Thanks, Ben. I love you. Exactly. Um, and uh, and all the artists who gave the time to just have a conversation, really, I mean, and uh, and talk about their music and their lives and what they do. And I mean, that's that's my passion and, and I enjoy it. And, and it's been so great. And so uh, right now we're getting into duck hunting season. Uh, I think you're a little excited. Oh, I'm excited. Yes. Shit's getting real. It is. It is. Uh, <laughs> we're going to hunt some mallards next weekend. Um, and so uh, the pod will be probably slowing down a little bit i'll say fair fair assessment uh chris mcdermott says um that he wanted to call you live on air but he's at work because that'd be compelling radio <laughs> yes of course uh, but he said because he wouldn't talk it would be as compelling as listening to you describe your julie at lewis boner for the last 200 so episodes fucking sitting here comedic holy again. shit that's oh fantastic Awesome. <laughs> Nicely done, Chris. Nicely Shout done. out. Nicely done, sir. Okay. Thank you, Chris. And we're going to have to post Steve's Juliet Boner online as well. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but no, that is not. What? No, I don't, I don't have a boner. Not at all. Okay. Oh, my God. Take this like, whole heartfelt thing and just uh, <laughs> slap it out of proportions and jump. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Okay. So, yeah, so uh, who 
What else are you saying thank you to, Stephen Jones? I, I don't know offhand. You, you have really... to thank your mother. Yeah, I thought you had a prepared speech. I didn't have a prepared speech, no. No? No. All right, thank your yeah. mother. Thank you, thank you, Mom, for... Giving, for telling me uh, not to go to concerts in the city. And, <laughs> and being like, look, you got in a car accident back on your way for your first one, you idiot. <laughs> Trying to shut that shit down, and uh, yeah, you weren't successful. <laughs> Wait, you told your mom about the accident? This is all a re- uh, rebellion against my mom and uh, uh, not wanting me to go to concerts. <laughs> there you go. So you can so, thank her for that. Yes, exactly. So uh, we might have Andrew McMahon on in the coming weeks. Don't know. I hope so exactly when but we might have him on again which will be awesome so um but yeah it's been fun thank you guys let's do some uh, more as we get around to it and yeah, uh, we got a whole another century of concert pipeline coming up wow at least i mean i i, I and i'm gonna i'm gonna do it i'm gonna call you on it i thought there was a retirement speech coming i'm not kidding i thought there was a retirement speech yeah there was a so Steve was like we're getting into duck season and I just got to take a fucking hiatus and now I'm calling you out because you didn't well, say anything. I, about I can't hiatus. say it if if Andrew's going to be on the show in a couple of weeks. I mean, so. interview him and then post it when you get around to it. But you yeah. can say I'm taking a hiatus from doing concerts regularly. Okay. I would feel like that would be appropriate. I don't given think that's possible. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think it's, I think it's Steve tough. is going to be doing this he's got the when he's fucking eighty. I sometimes uh, you know make time for it all right and uh, and fit it all in. And so if there's a good show. I'll be there. All right. Okay. <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah, it'll slow down. It won't be every week like it has been right now. So sure. yeah, less consistent. Yeah, we're gonna put it in third gear and uh, uh, and thank you to the listening audience as well for uh, always checking it out when you do. Um, so we're gonna wind us out here for all of us at Concert Pipeline. That's Joe Wilson. That is Jen Schiphol. And that is Steve Jones. Thank you for 200 episodes of fun. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>